Right, this is going to be another episode of Snake and Banter. Maui and I are back. We're joined here by Ted, who is a Bulgarian commentator. You might have seen on some of the events, he's working his way into the circuit. Before that, though, we do actually have a sponsor for this show. This show is sponsored by Esports Bet, the industry's leading crypto odds matrix. And right now, they don't just have their usual promotions, deposit bonuses. They actually have some exclusive promotions that are just limited time only. So they've got one at the moment called the Chinese... New Year, Red Envelope Frenzy. If people aren't familiar, in China and Asia in general, they celebrate the new Lunar New Year over there. It's actually just finishing now, the celebration. So, so they've done a special one-off promotion. What you do to activate it, everyone can do this, but they can only do it once. And obviously before it runs out, you go into the website. And as you can see on the left, instead of going to eSports where you make the bets, you go to the one that says promotion. It has a little image of a present on it. Click on there. The key thing to note here is you don't just get these by default. You actually have to go and activate them. So there's a bunch. Like Later on, I'll tell you about the 777 one. For this one, we're going to do this one. You're going to click the red envelope frenzy. As you can see here, you make sure you've got the bonus applied. If you have any queries about the terms and conditions and what it does and all that, just click the contact customer support, which is this button here. They will make sure it all gets set up. This is how it works. You can, if you deposit 100 USDT, you can receive an extra 100 USDT, 100,000 of the ESC, which is their esports coin, which you can also make bets and predictions with. If you get it to a certain level, you can actually convert it into other cryptocurrencies. Check out the website, all the customer support for more details there. And you also, even though this is a CSGO show, CS2 show, you do technically get, as part of this feature, one risk-free bet, which if you don't know how it works, like obviously if you lose the bet, you get the stake back. If you win it, you get whatever you get anyway. You get one risk-free bet actually on League of Legends. So I'm just saying this anyway. I know people probably don't care about League of Legends, but if you take the feature anyway, why not just use it on that? So you can go and for any tier one region in spring. So it has to be LCS, LEC, LPL, LCK, or PCS spring, which people don't know is like the... Taiwan easily or whatever it is, something like that. So I would, obviously you don't have to be a big league fan. If you are, by the way, you can just go check out the other competitive edge that Monty and me do where we talk about the League of Legends bets. So there's probably a good one there. If you do the risk-free one, that has to be your first one though. The rest of it just applies to everyone. As I say, anyone could do this. It's not a first-time deposit bonus. Anyone who's got an account can do it, but you can only do it once. So for a limited time only, check it out on the website. Right, so we always on this show have a tradition that the guest starts. So we start obviously in the good We'll ground ourselves with what's positive about the world. Ted, what is your good point you are bringing? Okay, uh, so for a good point, I was actually thinking about this a lot, but I, I think a good point to make is I was I was thinking about just saying that ends just having a couple of good results is a good point, but I, I see the counter argument of a lot of people actually uh, going in and saying they're going through a honeymoon. So I went with okay. Glaive and Cuban's comfortability. And by that, I mean, I feel like Cuban, as a coach, I'm going to start it off from there. I feel like he's extremely underrated as a coach. The fact that he gets replaced in Apex by Mifar. First of all, I have nothing against Mifar. I actually like him. I think he's a good anti-coach, especially for T-sides. Cuban, though, is one of those coaches that is, is kind of like an old guard guy that has a pretty strict way of viewing the game for me and has always had a really strict, uh, strict way of viewing the game and a certain way he wants to play. And I think in a lot of his teams after VP, because a lot of people I think have forgotten that he was a part of that original VP sure. lineup for a couple of years, right? And he wasn't part of the major winning one, but he still won a couple tier one trophies and he played a major final, or well, coached the team that played a major final. I think on a lot of the teams that he was actually coaching, he had to play with, for example, Mad Lions, Envy. He had to play with uh, younger IGLs that themselves wanted to have a pretty strict way of playing. And I feel like that's why he didn't have a lot of success. And he was still gaining some experience as an international one or international coach, obviously. 
but I, I think a person like Glaive, who's worked his entire life for basically like 80% of his life, he's worked with Sonic, who's another guy that has a pretty strict way of approaching the game. I think this is a good synergy. And I'm actually pleasantly surprised by the way that, you know, uh, Glaive is finding a way to work his way around, like playing with so many poles on the same team. Because again, he's a person that's played his entire life with Danes and he comes in, uh, he's going into an international uh, roster initially, and now he's just playing with Polish people. And I feel like, obviously, I can't know that because I'm not inside of the team, but some of the some of the games I've seen, and I feel like the relationship between Glaive and Cuban from the outside, to me, it looks really nice. And I feel like, yeah, I, I just think that both of them, I think Glaive has an experience of working with a coach that's pretty similar to Cuban in the, in the way that he wants to, you know, have a set way to approach the game. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's about it. I think they have a lot of uh, a lot of potential to actually do something together. Uh, now, I'm not sure if that's going to be necessarily with that five-man lineup, although I am impressed by it. Uh, and I think the argument of Glaive just uh, having a honeymoon performance period or whatever was a little bit odd to me because like, I, I looked at some of the games. I feel like the only crazy one he had was the Ancient against Astralis. Uh, most of the other games, he was just doing all right. When, when people were saying that he was actually going ham and, and doing something that's not usual for him. So, uh, yeah, I think I, I just think in general, Cuban and Glaive look like a really good duo to me. Okay. Come on, Maui. I'm, I'm pretty interested by this ends. I'm not, I'm not really going to make any... The boldest claim I could make is that I, I actually think there's... Even, to, even despite their kind of eats of performance, I would probably pin the chance that they make it through RMRB to be at best, like, 65%. Like, I'm not going to go over the moon and say that this team is a surefire lock for me, especially, I know you just did the eSports bet for them, but I think they're losing their first-round matchup to Spirit. I think that a few of the teams that are even kind of, like, in the underdog category at this event are probably, that they have the potential to upset them. So, um, I think, like, if you want to just make the good point about Glaive and Cuban, uh, it's good to see that Glaive has some new legs underneath him because what he was showing at the end of Astralis was pretty pathetic actually and what he was doing at the beginning with that ents roster when it had nerds deha modern and um sun pious like they clearly had no faith in him but they also were they knew they were going to leave so like it was not really it wasn't necessarily like glaive was at fault there and even glaive it even talked about it like when glaive joined that ents roster he was saying that they they're trying to he's trying to just learn what they were doing and try to fit them as opposed to imposing his own ideas onto them because they just had such a short turnover time between him joining the roster and then the subsequent tournaments that they had to play so i'm not really um i i feel like with ends like i'm i'm usually such a i'm usually one to champion oh like strong performances with recency bias but this is one time where i'm actually quite hesitant because i feel like you cite the fact that, you know, Glaive had the one strong performance by himself, but I mean, there were other moments where other individuals just seemed to, like, Hades looked better than he has for a long time, also when he was playing against, uh, I think it was G2, and, yeah, or, and that that's kind of like a weird pop-off for him. Um, I don't, I don't, I just feel like if they played back some of those series today, they definitely surprised a bunch of people that were coming into the team, the, the tournament a little raw. And I think the thing is that one thing that ENTS had really up their sleeve through, for this tournament, for Katowice itself, is that they got to play against teams that there was a lot of footage on. They got to play against Vitality, who they 2-1, who just got through the Blast Spring groups. They got to play G2, who they beat. And when they, once they played against G2, you know, they... Uh, 
they had they, they were able to beat them too who they were able to anti-strat because of the blast spring groups but then once they played against Mao's, they weren't able to beat them and once they actually hit hit a playoff stage it was a close game versus falcons but um they fell just a little bit short i feel like this is a probably what happens when you get a lot of time as ends and you have good good minds behind you like glaive like cuban that you can probably anti-strap pretty well but if you have to actually play people in a more live environment then i think some of the players are not necessarily of that world-class caliber that and i think that's gonna that's probably what's gonna hinder them in the long run here because i know like d hall was never really like the standout when it was on ends even though he had all these flashes and brilliance he never really was the consistent delivery that he wasn't really always delivering and then hades too i'd say like in big pressure games, sometimes he fell behind too. So I feel like that, and that's why they moved to Sun Pius in the first place. So Glaive is like the one guy actually surprised, you know, despite the recent history for him, who has proven that on big stages, he can elevate his performance. But when it comes to the the Falcon series, I I don't really think he was the guy that I was looking to. In fact, he himself had, a, had an individually very bad series there. So if anybody's supposed to like uplift them in a big moment, yeah, I mean, he he wasn't someone they could look to. So, I'm I mean, you know, with, with your baseline point of just Cuban, like, yeah, he's probably been a really underrated coach. That dude's been a, maybe eight major playoffs in his career. So, yeah. mostly with the VP core, but also getting it done with the Apex core, the Apex guys too, which was a huge surprise to a lot of people. So I feel like there's a there's a lot of reason to trust that this is going to trend well. But I think that I do think that Katowice was an overperformance for sure. The problem I have is this, is like people do just take these terms and act like they just apply to everyone. Like when people say honeymoon, period, it's like, it's not like if I just make a brand new Into the Breach roster, it's going to be in like the fucking semis of Canavita boys. Like, what are we talking about? Like, that's that's beyond any honeymoon period. Like, essentially, what you might say is maybe the individual form, like maybe some of them overperform and they won't do it again. I think that's plausible. I will just say this. Keep that same energy, everyone, when we talk about team spirit, shall we? Because, I mean, you're all just telling me that like, I can just take their ratings to the bank. And apparently, like, the joke is, everyone's already taken Donk, fucking Shiro, and Zontix. And by the way, one of those players is proven. And they've, like, essentially done that joke from years ago of, like, oh, basically, like, since I already know I'm going to win, I've already taken a loan out on the money that I would win, and I've invested it in Apple stock. And actually, by the time I've won, I'm actually a millionaire now. Brilliant. Like, like it doesn't work that way. Like, you know, there are ups and downs, and people have good performances, bad performances. So I would say, yes, it looks quite obvious just from the eye test and the names in the team that the NC like result was an overperformance but I even think to me part of the reason they go down is like you get a little bit of the players go down but the other problem is Katowice was still a lot of messy brand new rosters so I think they actually kind of feasted on that to some degree because remember one of the things they have in their team that people probably forget is it's essentially like two sets of people that have played together a few months like Glaive's now played with Deha for a few months and then Cuban was coaching them and then the others come from the nine team where they played together so like it's not like it's really five players people admit so I'm making this sound like it's like almost like bleed rosters where you've made a totally brand new lineup and you're trying to from match one in official win the game that's really hard building from scratch is probably the hardest thing there's some pre-existing aspects i also think by the way it's actually an obvious pivot like it's funny when Nentz made this pivot if people don't know by the way i can even speak to that a little bit it's not as simple as like oh my god glaive joined thinking he was getting his another break at tier one with the Nentz core but then they left even when he joined guys behind the scenes those talks were already happening with those players i am almost certain he was aware of 
it. And it was even a case, by the way, that the reason I am almost certain he was aware of it is it was actually even plausible, at least from the end side. I don't actually think it was from the player side. Ents actually thought there was a world where they could keep some of those players, guys. Like, whether it was all of them, whether it was one of them, whether they... There was a world, I think, where they thought they could actually match everyone, Snappy and the core, and keep them all and find a way... Because if you don't know, like, the way it works in the smaller orgs typically is this. You don't actually have the money to pay those players now, but if someone comes with an offer and you can sort of go to a sponsor or an investor and go, hey, look, I have this team, I want to retain them, this is what the offer is, we need to match it. That's essentially, like, business people understand that. That's like a business plan. That's like, right, here's what I money the money for, here's what I'd use it for, and here's what the outcome would be. In this case, you'd probably say something like, if we keep the players we make, like, you know, we keep the RMR spot, which gets the major, it gets the sticker money, maybe keeps us the cat vitae. That's basically the angle you'd use. You'd use sort of like the, the business angle. So it's plausible he could have kept the same squad. But then when he ended up with this team, I actually think it's one of the shrewdest min-max pivots I've ever seen. Because if you've got Cuban, who is not only revered in the Polish scene, but knows all the players in the Polish scene, and you've already got Dicha, who's basically the best Polish player, why wouldn't you pivot to getting these Polish players? It's actually a very clever sort of like min-max move. Like, especially because, let's be real, you can also be cynical and say it's just a placeholder. Like, if you don't like how it works in six months or after the major, you just pivot and do another international roster. In which case, no harm, no foul. In the short term, this is a really fast way to get us up to speed. Cuban's already working with these guys, he knows. Deha knows some of them anyway. I do agree, though, if you go to the player side very quickly, the problem Ents has is this. The reason they can never actually win a tournament is they don't have any star players, guys. Like, their star players are Deha, who, spoiler, like Maui suggested, right? Everyone in all his teams tells me that thing, and I'm getting really nervous about this concept from now on, which goes, you know, he actually chooses to be, like, a lesser role in Phil, so, like, he could be the main star, though. It's like, brother, I've heard that about Valde, NBK, Magus, like, that's for all of them. Everyone who used to be a star now does that, says, I can always go back, but sometimes he can't. Maybe that was four years ago when he were, like, the stud, you know, so I actually think on their team, if Hades and Dika are your star players... You could be like the 11th best team in the world. You could maybe make a run and have like a quarterfinal, but you're not going to win a tournament. So with that said, I actually do think some of the people who are doing a lot are Glaive and Cuban. Like I think actually, if you look at Cuban, crucially, I actually think another reason it's clever to bring the Pauls in is he's going to suit their temperament. People have heard those stories I've told about the legendary Virtus Proto. That was all the Polish teams. They were all brutal for like infighting, people talking shit like to each other in the game, people like doing stuff like that. I've heard stories of like real fist fights and then the same team plays the next match and wins the next match like that it this isn't like north america where people are like hey it's really hurting my feelings the way that you addressed me there inappropriately after we lost it like that's another world man that may as well be like fucking sci-fi to these people so cuban knows that world i mean if you've ever seen that infamous video that i actually put on the internet from like 2009 where in the game in like a live semi-final on stage they're all calling each other like fucking pigs and saying like who threw that flash like fuck you and stuff like just all in polish to each other so they are wild so first of all i already expect to be good in that sense then secondly i actually think people underestimate at the end slide up in this sense. People I noticed were saying they were all going to bomb on stage. It's like, why would they though? Like, Glaive's not going to bomb on stage. D has been in a million stage games in the last year. And even Hades has had a few. He's been in the semifinals of a major, boys. Like, I think people are overlooking that. Like, look, I'm with you. The nine players, to me, still have to prove that they're as good on LAN. That was the big problem. But there's only two of them. So it's like, in this scenario, you can get sort of like brought along in the mix. And I'll just throw this in finally, which is I actually think the Glaive angle is the most interesting one because here's what I'll throw out there as a little bit of food for thought and see if either you guys have anything for this. If you've ever listened to the interviews that Zonic and Glaive have done ever since the Primus 
Australis broke up and Device left and then gradually they left the team. Have you noticed how the interviews get ever so slightly spicier every time until eventually what you realise is even when they were winning majors, guys, it was not all sunshine and fucking butterflies. They had disagreements and it's even implied if you listen that like Glaive and Zonic had disagreements on how to play the game and how to structure it because that's one thing I don't think people know. It's like Glaive is a really tactical IGL but I actually personally think left, left to his own devices he'll do a bit more of a Carrigan he'll put a lot more of the weight on his shoulders and internalise it and make a lot more mid-round calls I actually think the genius of Astralis was how they sort of paired his actual great his style of calling with the Zonic system which is also why you know Zonic himself had to learn it's different with Apex than with Glaive so I'll actually throw that out there I actually think there's also a world where even though Cuban and Zonic are different coaches there's a world where maybe actually Cuban's kind of like maybe maybe he actually aligns more with Glaive it could be I, I know people can't conceive of this but I, I would just say this I think Maui will get the premise I, I think actually sometimes in great partnerships creative tension's actually like a dynamic that makes it better it's not that you both agree on everything why would you need a partnership sometimes the fact that you want something I want something different and we find like a compromise that sort of works for both of us that often actually will mean that you sort of rein in your bad qualities and then I like don't go too far on what I want to do and then we sort of reach something that works for everyone so I actually think this is an angle where like with this lineup I don't have too many hopes but here's where I would get excited and throw it back to you guys mate if I'm allowed to make like maybe even just one change if I can bring in like one FPL rifle it doesn't have to be Polish you can speak again we're speaking English to any player now we could have an interesting team like if we have like DR and then I'd pick me like an FPL stud rifle some young 16 year old some guy from East give me some of those players or even I'll tell you what mate even some of the ones people might not like like Fuck it, bring in some of those like older players that we're all raving about, like Patsy and stuff. Maybe one of those can play on a team like this. Like then I'd be interested because I do actually agree that if you go at the base of this is the IGL, this is the coach, I think you've got a fantastic base. I even think, by the way, people like Deha, if I go from the other side and I'm building from the ground up, we've got a nice little start of a team here. And as bad as I might have made it sound by saying they have no stars, well, I'll tell you what, the easiest thing to find right now, as these top te- youngsters have shown us, is just someone who's just got sick aim. Like the joke is that you can just find every day in FPL. You can just find that all day tier two. So if you have the other aspects, I think there is a future to this team, actually. I know everyone wrote them off. I did sort of when I saw that they pivoted like this, but I think it was kind of shrewd. I think it was kind of a nice move. Anything else on this one? Uh, yeah, I mean, I can I can actually add a little bit. Yeah, I cool. feel like I, I might have maybe phrased it a little bit wrong. I feel like you phrased it even better than me. I feel like they have the base. I think the base is really good. And I, I truly believe that Glaive and Cuban can make it work together. Obviously, I'm not stating that this team, I, I feel like they might have overperformed a little bit as well. But sure. for me, what actually makes me believe that they can do well is the fact that they didn't go into the Falcons and, and Vitality and, and G2 games beating them 13-3, 13-3. Yes. If that had happened, then I'd be really worried. I'd be like, okay, there's no way this is repetitive, right? That, that's not going to happen again. But then I see them play well on some maps. Then on some maps, they fluke. On, on some maps, they, they get absolutely destroyed. And I'm like, okay, then apparently there's some work being put in there. And I actually believe that you know, obviously Hades had a didn't have the best of times last time when he was on us. I feel like him going back to nine was really beneficial for him. I feel like it might have been a little bit too early for him to get picked up by a big organization and just play big CS before. I think him spending some more time on nine has made him feel a bit more comfortable. And I feel like for him mentally, because you pointed out that sometimes sometimes he flukes on scene, right? And this is something that a lot of a lot of people have been talking about that he crumbles under the pressure. I think it might be a little bit of a case. Now, I'm going to give a really bad example, but I think it's quite similar. When Liquid signed Patsy and Rainwaker, I feel like that takes a little bit of the pressure of the shoulders of Aussie. And I feel like it's the same here with Hades, because you have two younger guys that everyone's going to be more critical of. 
and eventually like you're not the youngest guy anymore that everyone's critical of because you've had experience to play before and they have some respect for you so now you're you're in kind of like that middle ground you're not the most experienced guy you're not glaive so if you if you have a really bad performance on the big stage or diha no one's going to be that critical of you because they don't expect you to be the ones who lift up the spirits that much but then everyone's going to be looking at the younger guys as well and saying that they need to learn how to play under pressure. So I feel like he's in a really good sweet spot right now. And in terms of Goofy and Kyler, I I, I completely agree that looking at this five-man lineup, I'm going to be brutally honest. I don't see a team that's going to win trophies. All I'm going to say, I believe that Kyler has the potential to be a really good rifler. Okay. Uh, I think he's, he's that type of a guy... Like, there's another Polish rifler that's playing lower echelons, like Reiko. Uh, I'd compare him to even ships from the Bulgarian scene. I feel like there's just those rifles that have a lot of pure skill and a lot of potential. And I, I think they're really smart players. Like, the decisions that they make, we have a term that we use in Bulgaria, actually, winning around by just using your keyboard. Sure. I feel like this, he's he's that type of a player. And he, he's got that little bit of craziness, like that unique way that he sees the game. So I actually think there is a, a solid... I think there's a solid base with ends. Obviously, judging by one tournament, I can't go out and say, okay, yeah, they're course. the perfect duo. Glaive and Cuban are going to marry, and they're going to be the best uh, IGO and, and coach duo in the world. But I, I just like what I see, and I, I think there is some potential there. Right, well, he's obviously cleansed any, like nervousness around this topic about we by invoking the name of ships which is if you ever worked on flashpoint 2 is a, is a dreaded name don't ever invoke that again like listen we all that was like that gif of like whoever it was like tyra banks where like we were all pulling for you and then he just ruined his whole career and became like the igl or something stupid like <laughs> that guy was actually really skilled i have a great i'm with you mate right let's move on though let's go now to maui what is your by the way this is more the most on brand points but it's a good one this time it's not indulgent this time what is your good point maui Oh, right. I had to. I had to do this one. Uh, of course. Of course, of course, it's the fact that Big decided to change their roster up after not qualifying for even the RMR. And what they did is they... Well, obviously, but with low key, they, they watch our shows, obviously, because we did just almost like a week before this, like, wasn't it on Health Take Point Medicine? Did we literally reference this exact topic? Like, the Big's like yeah. a waste of time. Whatever. They must be fans of the show. Fucking hell. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's. I think the the point then was something like along the lines of like Crimbo and Ta Tabson were in big jail yes. or something. Well, yes. I think bigger making the moves now to make it seem like they're not just trying to keep yeah. their star players in jail. On, they're they're actually it. bringing back Sersen. They're bringing JDC, who was obviously one of the founding members that had Mao's on their rising trajectory when they had to like reshuffle their players and everything like that. And so they're replacing Montu and Sin. And I want to say first and foremost that JDC is a flat out upgrade for Sin. They they play a lot of similar positions and JDC for all intents and purposes just makes so many fewer errors than Sin. That's the main thing for me. Sin, I really, there was every now and then you'd get these weird kind of pop-off times from Sin, but all in all of watching the qualifier games from Sin, watching the blast games from Sin, just kind of watching this guy for the last handful of months with Big, you just see these, these head-scratching moments so frequently that really make me wonder, like, why did he leave his teammate? Why didn't he try to trade? Why is it like, there were these things where it's just like, the fundamentals just weren't, unfortunately, they just weren't there for this guy, and I think that he has probably room to grow, but JDC is a proven quantity. He's not going to necessarily change the whole dynamic of your team uh, from, from a firepower standpoint, but he's a guy that was 
supposedly like a secondary caller when he was playing with Shuhei and when Mao's were overperforming based off of the firepower they had back then. Um, in terms of his stats, actually, once he started playing with 0-0 Nation, it seems like he started being a little bit more selfish, stopped thinking entirely about the team, and it's actually helped him out a lot in terms of his own confidence. And then also, um, you think about Cersei and you think about versus Montu, and in recent memory, actually, Montu's been pretty good. I actually think that Montu, in a weird way, it's almost in a weird way a shame that this isn't just a one-for-one one sin for JDC, but they decided to go for the whole all-in, back-to-speaking German way by bringing back in Sersen. And yeah, Sersen hasn't actually performed incredibly well under 0-0 Nation, but we do know that this guy was such an RMR farmer and like a low prep. He was basically like a low-stakes merchant. This guy would always raise the floor of big because if you're not throwing great flashes he's just decimating you he'll be aggressive he'll get in your face he'll go for his own plays and he was a guy that could just take over those kinds of games obviously against you know top tier opposition in the world sometimes he could falter especially if it was on a stage or just late in a tournament but like that was usually something we had to be concerned about once you started reaching top 10 at a at a s tier event or top eight at an s tier event it wasn't at a point where you're not even making it to the rmr like he was he was the reason that him and crimbo i remember for one of the rmrs was the reason they beat phase like they just ran them too just like ran as a duo everywhere and just destroyed phase and so like it's cool to see him back um if you're talking about like potential or whatever like is montu getting better is Cersei getting better well Cersei's only one year older than montu so it's not actually like you're you're substituting some like huge like up-and-coming rising talent montu it's like no he's been in this tier one scene as an offer for a while now and so has Cersei for that matter and so if Cersei can just kind of like raise himself back to the level that we know that he was able to reach on big well i'm ex incredibly excited because of course this brings uh big back to a domestic and german identity so that they're going to be able to speak into ger in german again as opposed to sacrificing their native language because montu was on the team and yeah yeah of course again montu was good but like you're obviously losing a little bit in terms of communication and on the fly calling which is now not going to be a problem because jdc is german uh Sersen's german everyone now can speak in their native tongue and you can just imagine that the communication is going to flow a lot more seamlessly Come on, Ted, jump in. Basically, after okay. anyone to talk to, you give your thoughts if you want. Go all on. right, all right, all right. Uh, well, first of all, I, I think it's a really good point, the language barrier there. I think it's always been a really awkward one for me why Searson left. I, I mean, initially when I saw the announcement, the first thing that came to mind was Eternal Issues because I, I feel like he's he's without a doubt the best German opener maybe ever to, uh, to play. And when you have him on offer, and if you don't hate each other in the guts uh, with, with Tapson, it just makes sense for him to be a part of the team, right? Like Maui said, I don't think... I, I like Mantu. I think he was one of their best players in the last couple months. But I don't think the difference between Searson and Mantu's skill is that big to justify speaking in English. And uh, yeah, in, in, in that manner, I feel like Searson is a good one. Uh, JDC for Sin, again, I might have a little bit of bias for Sin, actually, because I, I really like him. I think he's got a really good mindset as a young player. I feel like JDC's got one benching uh one benching in advance for uh, of sin i feel like him getting removed by mouse has actually helped him out to learn a lot of things that sin is yet to learn because he's a lot younger as well and i feel like jdc going into the lineup might have a little bit less pressure than sin had because obviously you're getting promoted from the academy but you got promoted we all remember the chaos with big essentially so you get promoted you go that you go back to the academy you play with the main team again you go back to the academy you do that ten thousand times so I feel like maybe subconsciously you could be a little bit afraid even that that might happen again when you're going into the main team. And you feel like you're that prodigy of the organization. You need to do really well. 
Uh, but yeah, JDC, the last couple of months on Zero Zero Nation, I really liked him as well. I feel like, I feel like as Maui said, he just started playing for himself a little bit more, understanding that on Zero Zero Nation, he kind of had to do that because he was a lot more skilled than some of the teams that he was playing against. One issue that I actually have, which I, I'm not going to say it's an issue with the transfer itself because I, I overly think that this is a good move for Big. One issue that I have, I'm not necessarily sure if the problem with Big, at least the problem that I, I'm seeing in Big, is actually around pieces that are not involving the structure and, and the approach for the game. What, what I mean by that, I feel like Big is maybe the team that plays like the, the biggest by-the-book CS out there. They, they just make the most perfect decisions most of the time if it's not just individual errors, like on a team level. They react really strictly to some things, but I feel like sometimes that just makes it really easy for other teams to read, and I feel like sometimes it might feel a little bit stale and even a little bit boring to watch because it's just like they, they make the perfect decision. So I think throwing in a couple maybe wild pieces, maybe if JDC and Searson, I, I actually think that's why Searson has such a good dynamic with this team, because he is a little bit wild every now and then, right? He's gonna, He can play that up in the face style of CS. I feel like that's actually good, because he feels he's one of the few players that's going to feel comfortable actually maybe in a way neglecting the structure at some times and just going for a play that he feels like. So I think having a couple wilder players that have more confidence to go for plays like that is good for Big's play style, and I, I think he could switch it up in a nice way. Yeah, actually, this is something where I will probably do, like, in my own video about this roster move. I actually think it's one that deserves it, because I actually think this is one where I'll obviously tease the opinion here, but I'll go way more in-depth. I actually think I could talk a lot, again, and tie about, like, abstract ideas about roster composition, because if people remember, mm -hmm. it was actually me who made the video. I think I made it way back in, like, 2015 or something ridiculous. I made a video a long, long time ago where I explained how I model CS, and spoiler, almost every one of your favorite pros uses this model now. They just don't know I invented it in the same way a fish doesn't know water exists. So when they all use that thing of like, he's the second star, and then they turn around to me and go, yeah, Maran, there's no roles and things like, why are you using my terminology then? But okay. So basically, if you look at my classic model, how you make a CS team, they've nailed it. This is literally paint by numbers. They have nailed every role. Think about this. So we have got the in-game leader, Tabson. We already know he's good at that. He's done it for years now. It's not like he's still the protege of God B. He's really good at that. He's actually just a top IGL in his own rights. You notice when we talk about him going to other teams, I used to want him to go to phase as a rifler. I could go as the IGL though if he wants, if it was the Nico team. He could have just gone as IGL too. Like, I actually think if anything, he's just a good IGL that frags way more than he should. Like his game now is comparable to like a Magus or something. Like he's just going to give you all this extra impact, whether it's purely on the scoreboard or not. So if you think about the framing, I've essentially got my IGL and I would say my third star in one player. I've got a very unique position here. Then on the outskirts of the team, I've got my obvious support players, JDC. It's basically what he's done. And what everyone says in Mouses, he's the guy who'll fill any role. So perfect. He could be sort of the defensive, passive, supportive element. Process is obviously the entry flag. We've got that one nailed immediately and has no pressure on him in this lineup at all, by the way. You can literally be the worst player as long as you literally just run in, tell us where they are, shoot them a bit and make space for the next guy coming in, which would probably be Crimbo or fucking or in this case, depends on how Sirison plays. That's it. You've done your job. And then at the last two players are Crimbo and Sirison. So I've got a star rifle and a star opera. Man, this team's got it all. I can't believe it. But I, I, was, I was always of the opinion that actually staying German would be the thing that gate kept them. It would mean basically you could never get enough sort of firepower in. Dude, if, if here's the good news. Either this lineup will be really good or you can't make a top German team because this is like the German super team. Oh, and then by the way, remember, a lot of people forget this. In big, they 
had to cycle through all those coaches. They had the Toby guy. They had Legia. And that's because Godby was off doing Valorant. Godby is the coach. I know a lot of people didn't notice that because it was kind of the quiet period of big. It was only even the blasts they were ever making noise. They even actually have the dream team coach as well. Like, this is actually the best squad you could almost make. And I'll, point, I'll actually tie it to what Ted said at the end there. If you ever listen to my reflections with Sirison, because he is more of like an FPL-style wild orper, and he just loves that like streaky style of play, that was not the Godby style of the game, by the way. He actually talked about how there is sort of like some friction there, and Godby doesn't like if you break his strat or you miss a flasher. But I actually agree with you. It's like what I said earlier about that other point in uh, about Zonic and Glaive, if you remember, Ted. I actually think creative tension could be good. I actually think sometimes, like you're saying, if Godby does it too much by the book, then that also becomes something you can read once you figure out what the book is. Meanwhile, if you only have the streaky orper who goes everywhere, you've got no structure, you can't basically throw that. So I think when you marry the two, and they've done it in the past, I actually do think this could be really good. So actually, it's not just in general that these additions are good. I actually think this is a banger roster. Like, I think low-key, the obvious joke I'll make to end is, is why did you wait to fail to make the RMR to do it? Because as Maui just said, brother, if there's anyone who isn't called, like, Simple and Zewu, like, the most guaranteed player to qualify you to a major is Sirison, because one, he made his whole name as an onliner, and then two, when there's no stage pressure and he's at the RMI, he just farms! The reason he was always sick of blast is it's just a studio, isn't it? Like, if he's just in a tournament area, that guy, by the way, was really, really good. I always said his problem was, a bit like Hades, actually, he hadn't made the jump up to the big stage games. And by the way, I don't blame them. They are playing the hardest role, in my opinion, to make the jump up to the stage game. Tier one fucking opera. Like, that's the one where when you miss, you don't go, oh, I did 99 damage and three. No, you missed. You did zero damage. That's how you look shit in Counter-Strike, by the way. Try going on stage with no experience and playing against fucking Zero and Simple. And then you get smashed and everyone goes, replace him immediately. They don't even give you a chance like like that thing I said about process he could have a shit game for 50 games as long as this team wins the Opa will always be the one it's like goalkeeper in football you, you're to blame every time you lose mate you have to, you have to be perfect basically so yeah I actually think it's a banger roster like I'm not normally that big on the big rosters themselves but I think they're sort of like if you know the players and especially if you know like some of the stuff I said behind the scenes I think they've quietly put together a fantastic one this is almost like what my guide would say as to how you could build a book with in this case with a budget seemingly you're talking like you have to break the bank to get these players I think this is a banger i think it's all around it's just a fabulous move 10 points there you go i was i was thinking if there was any way you could actually make a, a better german roster i mean is there who, who would you even put on it though who is that yeah that's <laughs> that's the thing like would you like you'd probably like the weakest position right now for this is process but like you said he's just playing the entry roles and everything so the only other players that i think you would maybe consider is like keto potentially or if you want to bring it back yeah well, or Falvin, I guess, but like I don't think I think keto maybe makes a little more sense, but like but like it's it's like I'm kind of splitting hairs at that point. So I think that this is practically speaking the best five man lineup you could put together out of Germany right now, yes. which is like which is fantastic. No, I just think it's a banger. Like I said, it's one of those rare times where I don't think they've got any disagreement. I think they killed it. Here. And I actually, by the way, I, I being as I do like tactical series, I'm going to be a fan of this team, I'm pretty sure. Like, I'm actually looking forward to watching this team play. Even if, by the way, they don't have to win the tournament. If they could just be a playoff team, I actually, I think they could be like a tactical German version of what Virtus Pro is with a bit less firepower. Like, basically, their style is what will define if certain teams can get through the bracket. Like, maybe I'll pick a random team. Maybe like a G2, maybe they run badly because they classically used to often use this team. Maybe they run badly in a team like this if they play free forms. Yes, who knows? Right, we'll move on now. My bit, my good point. I've actually just realised this is also on brand because, like, if this was a tweet, because people can't see me doing the shit eating grin, like, <laughs> they all just assume every tweet I say is serious. I'm never joking, even though in real life the joke is like, I never stop joking. It's always the joke, isn't it? But lunatics on the internet. If I just put this as a tweet, they would be like, how could that be a good point? So the good point. This is literally all I wrote down was Carrigan crying after he lost. 
So you're going to think, fucking hell, that's dark. What, what, what are you, what are you, clear fat or something? What are you hating? I was like, no, because here's the weird thing that people didn't get. I don't know if you saw this, but there was all these people where when Carrigan did that interview with Banks, you must have seen that in the file, he was literally crying, by the way, when they were losing. He looked really shook up after even just the second game, the Mirage one. You could tell he already knew it sort of gotten away from him. After the final, he was literally crying and he was basically sort of a bit sort of distraught. He was sort of like, what could we have done? Or what could we do? Or it should have been different. Now, the reason why I say that is really, really positive is you'll notice I hate people who have no ambition in life where their whole thing's like oh like mate it's bad enough when people like dine out forever on one tournament like winning the Boston Major bro there are people in CS who dine out on a semi-final for like four years and keep talking about remember that time we were in it it's like bro if you're actually a great player like making a semi-finals like not even the top of the mountain. You know what I mean? You, you want to win the major. And then when you win the major, by the way, unlike that Boston major one, you don't get to just go, well, I don't need to do anything else. I've won the major. Well, no, because then what I want to do if I'm a great player is look at like called 0-1-2 and devices won four. And like, that's what you do. Debris won five. Like if you're truly great, the actual way I think you view your career is this. You don't view it based on who is in the tournament today. You know that one day, this is what Carrigan gets, by the way. Carrigan knows one day, he didn't have time in CSGO because the game ended. He knows that he isn't actually competing against Chopper in these tournaments. He's competing against Glaive, fucking Khan from 1.6, Ave, the greatest I Zeus, the greatest IGLs to ever play Counter-Strike. And at the end of his career, we will ask who was the greatest of all time. And it won't be just winning titles, that'll be big, but what it'll be is this. It'll be how many chances did you have with the pieces that gave you the chances to win. It's why actually I've always said, even though you might notice I often defend Nico for not winning the major, I will say he had a lot more chances than some people who did win the major. I will always say that he had some very good teams that he didn't win with so that I have to judge him on that scale too I can't just go he was good enough to win the mid he also had a lot of chances to and he didn't he didn't convert on them so if you're someone like Carrigan it might be cool to do what everyone does on Twitter like wow all the finals in a row it's like he's not thinking of that he's thinking I lost the last three finals he's thinking that's five trophies I should have in the cabinet like essentially I should basically already be like the goat of CS2 like I should actually we could have done a nip not you know every map in a row we could have won every tournament it was right there if we're making the finals it's possible to do it and so and also then lastly, I'll just throw this in. I also am almost certain from knowing Carrigan that even though in the end Spirit played great and they looked just as good in the rest of the tournament and they won the final, he also knows there's a world where actually they're not supposed to really win that one. In fact, they're supposed to lose then so we can all say all the shit we were going to say of like, well, that's what happens when you play on stage, guys. Welcome to Canavici. Welcome to CSGO, you know. And then what happens is they then come back in a year or two and win and then we get the feel-good story but the current top player, Carrigan and Fit, they get to win now and that's kind of the way we know the world goes. So essentially, I don't think to, as even though other people might think like, well, it's just one tournament and if you, what you'd probably think if you're a fan is Carrigan's in position to win every tournament. You could win the major next. Don't care about that. No, no, I can tell you people like Carrigan and even Nico I actually do dig about them is they know that all these majors and prestige events count they know that at the end like if they could have won four Katowice's and they only won one it isn't going to feel that great that one trophy they're going to be thinking about the three that should be next to it so that is a winner's mindset if people don't know even though you'll notice within that it is why to be the greatest in these roles you have to almost ruin your life because you have to be so obsessive that you can't even take comfort in a second place even though by the way that's probably really bad for like your mental health and your relationships the thing is this is why they greatest people I always say to me it's like they really do they burn up a part of themselves in trying to accomplish this greatness you know you almost have to sacrifice something to the gods or fate to get that win so I thought it was actually cool that he had such a raw emotion think about it he's like the oldest guy in the scene he's just won everything for like two years and by the way he's had all this success in CS2 that would be easy to actually play it off and be like 
Who cares? You know, hey, I've lost the cat of eight here too. <laughs> I'll come back a minute. No, no, this guy was, he was affected by it. I could tell that was genuine as well. That wasn't for the cameras either, by the way. That wasn't like a certain guy who's on Team Liquid now who can somehow, put it this way, there's a certain Danish guy on Team Liquid Maui where I think there's like another string in his back. One string goes like, you know, a movie speech, like guys, you got to look at the guy next to you and ask yourself. Then the other string, tears just come out the waterworks one. Obviously, you you know, what saline solution sold separately. Keep out of the hands of young children. Maybe a choking acid. Yeah, all the jokes there. You can work that one in. There's something there, right? Go on then, guys. What do you think? Basically, it's the fact that I actually think for real, Carrigan was broken up about that loss. I don't think that was just like, ah, what a shame. What do you think on this angle? I've, I've given you a lot there. There's a buff here there. Yeah, I think I think Carrigan doesn't strike me. Obviously, I don't know him personally, but I, I think I've followed CS for a long time. He doesn't strike me like a person that's really good at hiding his emotions, as you pointed out. He knows how to act professional, but if I see Carrigan cry, it's not it's not going through my mind that he's doing that for the cameras. Like, actually, actually, you saying that right now, I realized I haven't even thought of that. No, person, no, I know? don't think it ended. Yeah. Usually, usually, I'm a pretty critical guy. Like, I, I criticize everything, okay. and I'm thinking about really like different aspects and conspiracies and stuff. I haven't even thought about this being a possibility. I was just like looking at him, and you know, it's. I actually laughed at the start because of the way that you phrased like a good point, Carrigan crying. <laughs> yeah, but the, the sense, yeah, but the sense of uh, like the point that you're making is really good. I think I even want, uh, I even got more respect for him after seeing that because I feel like for a person in his position, it's pretty much a pretty similar story to, I guess, if you see, if you see Dupree react uh, the same way, right? When you see a person that's been around and has played CS on the highest level for such a long period of time and has won pretty much everything, as you pointed out, right? Well, he hasn't won five majors, but he still has won a sure. major. Yes. It's really easy to feel a little bit less motivated. It's really easy to... I mean, give an example. Olaf Meister, I feel like towards the end of his career, he lost the drive a little bit, right? I feel like Carrigan is the only one from the old guard. Like, And I'm not counting Snappy, by the way, because Snappy is a, is a late starter. Snappy has not been... Yeah, he has a reason to still be hungry now, right? Yeah, exactly. Life. Exactly. Yes. He's got a lot to gain still. Whereas Carrigan, he's been gaining for... Like, he's been winning for so many years. And I still feel like he just wants to build up his legacy. And you made a really good point. I think uh, there's a saying that I love, and I, I feel like it, it makes a lot of sense. A lot of people don't understand that when they're they're talking about people like that. The biggest geniuses of, like, human history... And, like, when someone is special, when someone is a genius, which I think he is in, in CS way... They are a little bit crazy, and their lives are a little bit messed up because you, you have to you have to have something glitchy in your personality or life in order to be special and really good at something else. And I think this is what we're seeing. I think Carrigan might be that type of person, and I actually like people like that a lot. I feel like from the outside, and uh, I'm saying that, not implying that I know, but I, no, I just sure. realized that I don't know. From the outside, I, I don't think anyone is well unless you're you've been in that position i don't think we were able to actually understand what's going through his mind and i feel like him crying over that which when you think about it in the bigger concept like obviously he's won five finals uh, he's lost five finals in a row sorry which is not great right this this is a catalyst for his emotions but the fact that the major is coming up so a lot of people might think as you said a lot of people might think okay he's lost Kato, but donk had a, a 10,000 rating yeah, tournament and Zontics yeah. played well and shira played well so why what is he even crying about you can just yes. be like okay they, they just played a live tournament but i feel like carrigan is just that type of a person that has the mindset of okay you know what they played well but if we were perfect we would have still won yes so i i, I feel like especially in sports this is a really good <clears throat> mindset that the bit the best sportsmen in like football american football tennis all of those guys are gonna gonna say one thing okay he might have played great 
But that means that, like, if he beats me, that means that I wasn't perfect. I wasn't at my best. Because if I play perfect, there's no way he wins, right? No matter how good he is. Uh, and, yeah, I that, that's the reason I actually agree. I think that is, this is a good point. And I feel like, because a couple years ago, I wasn't really a big Carrigan fan. I mean, personally, I've always respected him for uh, the, the type of CS and, you know, the IGO he is. But I, I think he's winning he's winning me as a person with stuff like that. And I'm gaining a lot of respect. And I'm actually looking forward to seeing for how long he's going to be able to co keep up with that. Because if he's able to keep up competing for like maybe four or five more years, I think that's going to be unheard of. Like that, that's going to be really impressive if he's able to keep it up till like 37, 38 and have the same drive for the game. Oh, by the way, one thing you said there that I actually sort of explicitly said myself is you nailed it. This actually should be the easiest of the big losses at a prestige event to, to take because yeah. not only Donk, but the whole fucking team smurfed and the guy literally broke the record for like all stats at the event. Like if there's ever an event where you're supposed to just go... Well, that's not going to happen again. I can't wait. That's why, actually, in a way, I think it shows is the ultimate winner. Like, guys, I agree with what Ted said. All IGLs do. This is actually why a lot of them stick with bad players, by the way. They always think there's a solution to the problem. They view everything as like, right, it's a, what, am I, what, are, the, what are the ways I could have won the games? I agree. I think even with Donk doing that, he still thought he could win the series somehow. Come on, Maui, what's your angle on all this? Uh, well, I, it reminds me a lot of actually Kerrigan's exit in Katowice in the previous year. In 2023, he lost to Liquid in the group stage in the third map decider versus, uh, yeah, to, to see if they who would make it to the quarterfinals. And when he's lost that, I remember in the post game that Kerrigan reminded everyone just kind of like, you know, he doesn't know how many he's got left in him. Because by the way, reminder, like Kerrigan, I think... I think Kerrigan is the oldest player in the top 30 right now. He's 33 years sense. old. I don't think I don't think there's anybody else that's even older than him. So you only have a he, yeah. pro he probably because he's pushing the limit of longevity in this space. He's the one that is basically like he has to be the trailblazer, and he knows that like the finitude of his career is very real. Like he's he's probably like you're saying with like well as we know kind of as as your priorities shift as you go, get older and older in this space you're going to have less time to get dedicate towards this and he probably thought with this roster i mean on paper this roster is disgusting like yeah, this phase roster is amazing i mean yeah. they literally are the number one ranked team right now and yeah getting a champion but but kerrigan doesn't care I don't think he gives a damn about number one placings on HLTV. He cares about trophies in his cabinet. You know, he's been he's been number one so many different times with different rosters and lineups that like it really is just about stacking up that hardware now. So if yeah, I like the point that you brought up also, just the fact that like, you know, this could have been an NIP level era of CS2 oh, sure. and FaZe were so close to it. And I also think in some ways Kerrigan might have lightly forgave himself for losing the fall finals and the world finals to vitality yes. if you're able to capture yes. a true prestige trophy in i am katavita yeah by the way the point you made at the end there is a very good point if you know pro players it's here's one mistake people make the reason why carrigan cares about losing katavita is it doesn't matter that you won that you want to win every katavita but i agree with you they would actually use that logic at the end there though which is like i can lose two medium lands if that means i win like the big one or the major like that that is actually where they get there is a little bit of cope but that's actually justifiable cope because you just can't beat your best at every tournament Right, even though we're using the overlay competitive edge, because it's just what we're using for this feature for esports bet, I'm going to actually have each of my panelists here pick out a match from next week's RMR. So there's still plenty of time to go and look and see what you think of the bets and the odds. All the matches are up, as you can see on your screen. I've asked them to each pick one possible prediction slash bet for me, and they can do any angle they want. They can have a winner, they can have an underdog, they can go with the over-under, whatever it is. So, Ted, who have you picked for this one? Which match have you gone for? I've decided to go for an underdog uh, bet. I'm going to go for OG to actually win against Apex. Now, before people jump on me, I want to say, in a best of three game, I am I would favor Apex because I feel like okay. they have a deeper map pool. But I, 
I believe that Regali and Heavy God can, on a good day, carry through that game. And honestly, I feel like the fact that it's the best of one is going to limit Apex as well in terms of the maps that they can play. So Anubis is out of the way. Anubis, for example, is sure. a really good map for them. I feel like if they go to... They might end on an Ancient. They might end on a Mirage. They might end on a Vertigo, probably. And I believe, on a good day, OG could win that. Because I, I think Apex is the better team, but I feel like they're the better team in a way that, let's say, Gamer Legion is the better team than a lot of other teams. So... Yeah, I'm going to go for OG because I feel like 2.5 for just Heavy God and Regali having a good day or Heavy God or Regali having a good day. I think it's uh, decent. Yeah, so basically the odds on the site are it's 1.484 for Apex, which by the way, I don't think is, is actually that great odds. That's actually normally like the limit of where I cut off like slam dunk favorites. So the underdog is the way to go on this one. On the eSports website, it's 2.524. I will now do the bet. I'll do I'll do a 250 on that one since we're doing an underdog. And if people know I follow the Cassard rules where you basically do half a unit if it's an underdog and you think it's like a reasonable chance. Right, Maui, who are you going for? Which is your bet going to be put? By the way, if people don't know, on past episodes, actually Maui has even shouted out Heavy God. So interesting sort of parallel there. Who are you picking for your prediction, Maui? I'm going to be picking a favorite because I feel like the odds for them to win are kind of lower than I would have expected. Are they like more favorable for the underdog than I would have expected? And that's Heroic over Preci. Uh, this is a matchup where Heroic has been trending upwards for me. I feel like the lineup despite the fact that it felt sort of flimsy at first on paper, uh, kind of like a huge, like an amalgamation of some random pieces has actually come together quite nicely. So I've kind of been, I've been liking what I'm seeing from them. And on the other side, Preci is a team that they don't really have an offer. Uh, and I feel like if we're going to talk about Cloud9 and their their woes for what, what they're missing as a tier one team, I mean, Heroic's the kind of team that should be able to eat up a team just like that. They've got some really solid rifler pieces, and so I feel like just the odds in this one were favorable enough where it, did, it wasn't just too lopsided. That's basically what I'm getting at. Yes, I also agree, by the way. as I, That's one of the things people might have noticed. That was actually one of my takeaways. Oh, but it's By the way, Heroic is a favorite, but they're at 1.517. Actually, I actually think they're a pretty good bet to do this. I think that's about the right odds. Underdog is down at 2.4, but again... Not really expected to win. So I think for this one, we'll do the favorite, like Maui says. We'll do a full-size one for this one. We'll do 500. And what I'll throw in there is, actually, that's one of, the, one of my takeaways from Kanavitsa was that, which is the joke is, like, it turns out one of the actual, like, sleeper best general managers in Counter-Strike is just chaos. Because apparently when people come and just take Heroic and Ence's players, like, actually, whatever they're left with just ends up being actually better than you'd expect. Like, those are supposed to be bomb teams that had no chance to do anything if you didn't see Kanavitsa. Even the Heroic team was on the brink of actually sort of doing something. So, yeah, it's kind of wild. Right, I think for mine, I'll just go with a boring one for this one. I think what I'll say is this. I'll actually say that if people know how I do it, I do my bets almost entirely based on the odds. And so I'm actually going to take Ents as a BO1 underdog to beat Spirit. <laughs> because it, they are, because you have to understand, guys, like, look at the odds that I've got here. Like, these odds are actually mental. Like, like if you look, even though, obviously, Spirit's just won and everyone saw them amazing. So their odds are way down at 1.297. I tend to avoid that, by the way. To be a one, if you, if you mess up, like, they won't win enough times for that to be worth it. But if you look at the underdog... Mate, it's a BO1. Like, Ents can win a BO1 at 3.34. I'm taking that all day long. That's an easy underdog bet for me. So, I'll just, I'm will just i even going to say for this one, I'll, again, I'll do the half unit, like good old Kassad taught me. Because obviously in the modern day, I need to prove that Kassad can teach people things and they can be useful. And you can even win using those things. Right, Ted, what is your bad point? What negativity are you bringing to this show? Okay, so 
I feel like I'm not the one to come up with this, obviously, because it's been going crazy around Twitter the last couple of days, especially as the RMR is going out. But I think it's just ludicrous that there still is uh, best of ones at RMRs uh, with, with MR12. I just feel like I, I saw actually a couple a couple arguments from some tier two, tier three players saying that this is actually a good set of people for, for upsets. I feel like, uh, okay, I'm going to start it off from there. There was an article published on HLTV. I think it was Nero or Dems that published it like a couple months ago. It was still CSGO. And it was about about best of ones, the percentage of teams actually winning the game in the end when they won both pistol rounds. It was something like something crazy. Like it's 70. like 70% or something. Yes, yeah, yeah yes. exactly. And a couple of days ago, I think it was Vu that posted a tweet about, uh, and it was like a 200 map sample size, about the same thing, but in CS2. And the percentage nice. is like 75 or so. Oh, right. uh, well, maybe to his calculations, it was like 72. But by the games that I'm looking at, it, it looks even higher. And I feel like, especially when it's about an RMR, because like open qualifiers, I get I, I get if you fix the problems with, you know, cheaters and uh, all of that stuff. And, you know, all the top teams having to go through open qualifiers, which I, in my opinion might be a little bit maybe useless at times. But if you fix that, I feel like for open qualifiers, best of ones are justified because obviously you got to play like 12 maps in a day. You can't make everything best of three. You can't make, let's say, Astralis make a new team, play against level fours in the best of three, right? So open qualifiers are completely legitimate. But in RMRs, I just feel like that that's just more punishing for the better team because imagine imagine a team just goes into that game they win both pistols they have a couple i'm talking about the tier two tier three team obviously they go into the game they have good aimers but they have no experience they're they're not the better team they have good aimers they win both pistols you need like two or max three gimmicks per game on buy rounds if you win both pistols and you've won the game and i think that it just puts a lot of the top teams in a pretty precarious position. Now, someone can go out and be like, okay, but they're the top teams. Aren't they supposed to be able to win the pistols? Aren't they supposed to be able to, you know, compete? It's the same for everyone. Yes, but I feel like a big factor of being a top team for sure is the fact that you have a deeper map pool. So it's one of the advantages that you have. You're better on more maps. You have more experience. So why not be able to actually show that you have that experience, you have that advantage because you've worked for that. And it's, it's the same with the fact that uh, Tier 1 teams are better in correcting their mistakes, right? They're better at adapting, reacting to stuff. So even if they get caught off guard by something, by some gimmick play or a different approach or something just simply crazy, they're going to have more time to actually correct that in a best of three. And if a Tier 2 or a Tier 3 team, for example, beats Vitality or Face or uh, who not in a, in a best of three, I feel like that's a, a massive achievement. You can't just say that was a best of one, they won the pistols and blah, blah, blah. You're actually going to be like, okay, those guys can play some legitimate CS. They've done their prep. They played some some good CS the last couple months. They actually deserve that victory. So, yeah, I feel like uh, as well, uh, just to add to that before I throw it to you guys, I feel like the, the economy system in CS2 is just... Uh, well, in MR12, the economy system is not created for best of ones. I feel like the money needs to change massively as well. And uh, if you look into it, the only sure moment when the only guaranteed force buy you're going to see after a team loses best round is if they're T-side and they plant the bomb. Most yes. of the time, if that doesn't happen, they eco. And people are so afraid. Like, you play an Inferno game. Obviously, that has a lot to do with the map, and it was pretty much the same towards the end of CSGO. But people just save all the time especially in best of ones, even on other maps, people are calling so many saves because they're afraid because they, they have no margin for error, which I feel like might not be the best thing when you're competing for a spot at the major. Might be all right in open qualifiers, but once you get to the to the RMR itself, I, I feel like you should give people the chance to actually show what they've prepared and not just make them play a couple of best of ones. 
especially when the first two games are played on day one, you might have a bad day, you lose two maps, and then on the other day you're playing an elimination game, which I, I think it might be, yeah, it might be actually bad for us as people that are looking at the game and trying to enjoy the game because some better teams might get eliminated early on because they were slow starters. The main point that you already nailed is like, yeah, the reason BO1s are not great is that better teams generally have five map pools deep, like a five map pool at least. And so forcing them onto BO1s, it's almost like the teams that are more one tricks can get away with that and they can scrounge together a couple of victories. Um, I'm not really, it's kind of weird because actually my my stance on this before, at least at the last major, was kind of just that I just think that everything should be a BO3 once it hits the, hits the legend stage. I actually think it's kind of, we're in a weird position right now where it actually is in a weird, in very, for many people, it actually is more meaningful for what the results of the RMR are than the actual results of the major because mm -hmm. once you get sticker money, well, that's basically the, the that's like the lion's share of the amount of money you're going to make anyways. Yeah, and so, it's life-changing. Yeah, so I don't really think that it, but like the thing is, you kind of like this take can be like constantly scaled to infinity because you could just say, like, oh, well, like then astrology, like the thing is that basically the big problem with this whole thing is that the, the, the thing is that these like tier two teams, they're their floor has risen so drastically and there really hasn't been anything in terms of the tier one top teams that has risen them so far above these tier two teams that they can safely win uh, a, a map against a tier two team. Like if the tier two team plays random enough, they can always find some way to scrounge together a couple of rounds and a half. Like some of the ways some of these teams are winning, just like having five rounds on the T side of overpass is literally you win the pistol, they the CT's force, you win the conversion, now they have to save, you have three rounds and then you win a random, random site like a b hit like a b rush and then they have to eco again you get five rounds like that's that's oftentimes how i see a five round t side half for overpass and frankly that's not like how i would imagine in an mr15 game uh, like that's not good enough like you can't just win five rounds and that would be satisfactory because now you can go into your ct side half and you're probably just going to win that point because it's the most ct sided map in the game but that being said i don't think that this can just keep getting scaled infinity like to infinity unless uh unless like we have more and more resources because i think that's like the really the root of this problem the reason they run bo1s isn't really anything other than a cost saving measure it's just that now you you can save on one whole day of production one whole day of uh paying talent one whole day of housing all these players one whole day of like hotel rooms etc you know so it's just like if if money weren't an issue i wouldn't imagine there would really be bo1s in any sort of circumstance once you hit land level play I, I i just don't think it really has a room for like that's just not really how this competition works unless like because uh, yeah it's just, it's just it just doesn't really make sense because it takes away such a huge advantage for the teams that are more well practiced what's great about this topic is it actually combines a venn diagram of everything i hate in counter-strike so you have bo1s and MR12, and this this fucking economy, and then fans who think that they can use reductive thinking and solve the problem, and there's not even a discussion to be had. So it's just like, like for example, if someone says BO1s, they'll do what Lurpus did years ago. They'll go and do a HLTVR, because this happened, I think you did it on Twitter maybe, and what they'll do is they'll just look at like a sample size of like 400 tier 1 BO1s, and they'll go, no, actually you'll see that teams tend to win, the favourite wins the BO1 on almost the same percentage as a BO3. And it's like, yeah, but you've just taken like all of tier one Counter-Strike. So what you're telling me there is like that when like the 
78th best team plays that game, they lose. But I don't care about that level of CS. In fact, that's a key point I'm going to make here. I only care, in this case, about the major level of CS. So basically, here's the teams I care about. The teams that are good enough to make the major or borderline, the ones that could contest them to make the major. This system is designed as if it was like, like that fucking 80s movie, The Wiz, and it's just like everyone in the world is allowed to qualify to the major, and whoever gets there must be the dopest player right now, and some donk shit, like there's a million donks, and then whoever makes it brilliant, and then they'll get to win, and if anything, this is what people try to make it like, that by making it such a sturdy system, so you know, G2 makes it, that I'm like gatekeeping the talent out team. No, no, what we've done instead is we have randomized the system as much as possible for reasons like Maui says, like to save time, to make it so that you don't have to put extra costs in, to make it so that like you don't have to have extra extra days and extra cameramen and extra streams. It's basically just a cynical cost-saving measure. By the way, if this actually was a game where that made money and it was about having an excellent tournament, you'd almost certainly, there wouldn't even be a discussion. You'd have had it best than three years ago. You would probably wouldn't even have this Swiss system with randomized seeding. You'd have some sort of circuit that seeded properly and you'd, and you'd offset all these little problems that we all hate when you've seen a million tournaments and you know, kind of like, ah, oh, fuck. That team that made it through there, yeah, well, on, good on them for winning this B or one, but they're never doing anything at this major. That's the biggest problem, isn't it? Like, it's like when that team the old Gamer Legion, not the one that made it, when the old Gamer Legion team knocked g out of that RMR for IEM Rio, well, do you remember them doing anything at the major? Of course they fucking didn't. Meanwhile, that G2 team, if they'd have turned up on a different day, a different month, they could have won the fucking thing. So that's why, if you don't know, why all analysts hate the format. We don't hate teams that do upsets. They win in the server. They prove they can win. We hate that this, the format allows them to win, as these guys just explained, with not as difficult. Like, here's the thing. I'll never say you have the advantage as the underdog. Obviously, you're still the underdog. But, like, one of the problems I have goes like this. As soon as it's BO1, you immediately have a much higher chance of winning because one, you only have to win one map instead of two out of three. And then secondly, there's a flaw that people have with BO1. I've made this point a million times and nobody seems to get it. A BO1 is not the same as game one of a best of three entirely because of the veto. Why do you think we obsess about the veto, guys? It's such a big part of the game. The problem with a veto in a BO1 is it actually removes most of the edge of the favourite team. So even as Ted says, the favourite team has a bigger map pool, they're better on the maps, they're good on land. Yeah, but here's the problem. Let's say I get lucky. Look, there has to be an element of luck involved for the underdog. But if I get lucky, even if you're the best team in the world on like two of the maps, in the BO1, I veto them, mate. As long as they're in my veto part of the pool, you ain't playing the maps that you're actually world-class on. Suddenly, we all know back in the day, you're playing Dust 2, Mirage. You're playing the maps that people get upset on. These are the maps that everyone plays in FPL. They play in the pogs because they're upset heavy. They're individually focused maps. So first of all, the veto will always mean you sort of like to some degree neutralize the big edge that you have from being the better team. Then for BO1s, like for me, it's just, it's exacerbated by MR12. It's making the games just over way faster. And then for MR12, it's the same thing again. If your brain goes, huh, it's just three less rounds, we're saving time. As Ted pointed out, the economy isn't uniform in each round of Counter-Strike. So actually, you aren't just taking three rounds off. I made this point to Maui when everyone said they wanted MR12 to fix the games being too long. I said the real reason why you don't want MR12 is if you look which rounds you're taking out, they're actually sort of like the main good rounds that you wanted to watch in the game. That's why when Maui described how you could win a game, notice essentially he just pointed out you're winning all these rounds that aren't really. Like, we think of Counter-Strike as both teams have the guns in the economy. Now what will they do on this game? 
You barely get those rounds. Those are actually the rounds, no joke, that you take out of the 15 to make it MR12. And now you exacerbate, like Ted says, uh, 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 the difference now, here's another thing. Each round isn't uniform based on the sides. So for example, it's very different to lose T-Pistol and have the CTs buy than it is to lose CT, to win CT-Pistol and lose the next round to get forced back on. Like, as you say, there's a literal imbalance in the game that I pointed out when they made this economy, that if the T's plant the bomb and do nothing else, they just get essentially, like, it's almost like a crazy gamble multiplier that like this next one round can almost like win you half the game basically because I always tell people this the worst moment if you're an analyst in Counter-Strike is when it's two teams that are quite well matched and it's a really good map that's going to be awesome and then the CT economy is just permanently one round behind because they never get to actually play the proper match that you're ready for them all to play this actually happened a bunch of times if you see people saw when Spirit would have these insane T starts like the CTs are just never getting to the full economy and even though the rounds are going they're even winning rounds but they're winning rounds with one person left alive or they're diffusing a bomb and in those scenarios like you never actually get to what we want from Counter-Strike like the really cool part of the game and then the last thing I'll say is this which is I also think this is where beggars can't be choosers like if I'm being pragmatic Maui's right like at this current point in time when I know how much they lose to run events like these and how expensive it is and how I'm not a, as a fan and no other fan is contributing any money whatsoever I can't really just say just do all these things so I feel slightly better but in an ideal world Maui 100% we wouldn't do it like this and I can tell you why because if anyone's ever watched the International in Dota 2 which is my favourite tournament of all time even though it's not in CS or 2 or Quake or whatever the reason why it's my favourite tournament is it has an insane group stage if you don't know in the group stage they will just play like bo2s or bo3s you get to play like four or five of these motherfuckers before you before you're either eliminated they usually only eliminate by the way one team a group and then the rest go into like a bracket and that's almost like a seeded thing now how they do that because you ready what's going to blow your mind how could guys 20 teams play four best of twos each over two days because they don't run it like ours where you sit and it's like you're being programmed and you're supposed to watch this match after this match. They run a bunch of streams. They have all sorts of like, all these matches run concurrently. And then essentially you, the fan, just choose the one that you want to watch. Now, again, you might see that for a TO. Maybe they don't want to do that in CS because their logic would be like, well, why am I showing games that by expressly some people can't watch? It's almost like I'm like cutting my viewership apart and I'm making like one stream not have the crazy high peak. So there's all these other political reasons that sadly hold us back. So I actually think this is one where if everyone actually sat down and didn't just reductively think things like MR12 is just MR15 with three less rounds, or if you, like you say, if you're the better team, win the BO1, there's the last thing I'll say. That one might be my biggest trigger, is when they say, but if you were actually better, you'd have won, right? The reason that doesn't make any sense is, first of all, it's not how rankings work. Like, everyone surely understands that there's like a team that's top three right now, that if I pick, if I get to pick the right team that's like 12 to 15, they can lose to them. But they are much better against the field, that's what your ranking's based off, and the team 15th or whatever is not actually a top 10 team. It's just in that particular case, maybe you have the map pool, maybe they have a player strength, maybe they even fucking know the people on that team, whatever it might be. So the other thing I'll also throw out there is, the reason why I don't like this like way more reductive BO1, MR12, like sort of like win now or die, is it also, in my opinion, massively skews who succeeds because like, I'll give you an obvious example. What if I'm the team that are specialists on? Are you ready? Ancient Anubis and Vertigo. Yeah, well, good luck. You can't veto me out. But I'll tell you what, you feel like a dickhead if you're the guy who plays Nuke Inferno fucking Mirage, don't you? Because you're going to definitely get upset. Everyone plays those maps, and that's what's going to be in the middle of the veto. So now, just what maps we play outside of the RMR is potentially deciding who's going to go through across this format. Like I say, if you can get the right guy on a BO1 Mirage... 
everyone's seen a billion upsets on that. Like, it's like the upset map, isn't it? So I think people don't realize this isn't like a minor issue. And notice the problem here is each one of those was a problem and they all stacked. They all stacked on top of each other, which is why, unfortunately, I absolutely expect these RMRs forever. While they use this system, a BO1, MR12, and randomized Swiss, it's going to be a nightmare. You are definitely always going to have a top team or two doesn't make it, and you're going to have some complete randoms that do. And as I say, sadly, it's real life, not a movie. They won't go on and do something awesome in the next round. They'll just get banged out in 3 themselves, and they'll fuck off. Meanwhile, we won't see G2 or... Whoever it might be in this... Well, the joke, I'd say NIP, but who the fuck does want to watch them? I don't even know if they want to watch themselves. Right. There we go. Anything else on that one? Are we moving on? I think that was pretty exhaustive. Yeah. Yeah, right, Maui, come on then. Yeah. What is your bad? Yeah. Um, my bad is is just that this, like, basically the conversation around Cloud9 has been pretty stale at this point, the fact that they just don't have an opera. But there was some little signs where it was like, okay, you know what? They can actually maybe sometimes punch up because the rifle core can just be so strong that they can... Uh, overcome the deficiencies they have and I just feel like at this point they're just they're just predictably bad it's not even like there's a question mark with this team like will they figure it out I would say that the answer now is just unequivocally no they are not figuring it out and when I watch I say that more because of when I watch their actual play what style. are the fatal flaws what's the thing that they can't overcome it do you think well, it's that they just can't get easy kills on CT side because they don't have that strong op presence. And so what they always have to do on their CT sides now is they always have to just throw themselves at situations and problems. And they always have to basically just like pray that that their opening player is going to either one, find them some space on the CT side or it's going to net them an opening kill. And it just kind of unfortunately is is it just makes it it's just your like it's like Sisyphus, you know, you're just you're just like consistently pushing this boulder up like you're you're doing so much work to come up with these innovative like rifle setup plays but like it's so rarely even working like if you if you look at like Katowice CT side they were in the bottom half of opening kills on CT side even though they actually had a decent CT side overall at the event their opening kills was was in the bottom 50% yet yet they were like one of the better CT side teams so it's like once they find those kills that's great they can do a lot with it but then on top of it actually one thing that's very concerning is like that that's their ct side woes their, their t side woes is just they have no op presence that's going to stop an opper from repeaking them like an opper is so frequently just just ready to go there if an opper knows they're against cloud nine then they're just going to have field days like um Tor torzy is is putting up like good numbers against them consistently uh montu put <coughs> up really good numbers against them when they played at the blast premier spring finals uh it's just like when when you watch cloud nine play it's just like war the bet like waro had a 1.4 rating against cloud nine when they when they played each other and that's what eliminated cloud nine from the tournament it's just it's so obvious and predictable that these guys just feel like there's no one that's even going to remotely test them and so these offers just consistently are just feasting upon them so i'm just getting really really frustrated with cloud nine because there's like Going into the major, like it just it's it's like one of the few teams where I feel like, yeah, I think they could make it through the RMR, but like I just they're just so dead in the water. And like we unfortunately like it's the first team that I'm kind of just marking off completely as there is practically speaking no upward mobility for them. Like I like at least with other teams, like kind of there's always a little like what if question or how do you fix things or ooh, could this player level up his game a little bit? It's like 
there's just frankly no no solution right now for Cloud9. Even even if Axel rolls it back, even if Electronic has a field day, even if they make really good mid round calls because Boomich is a better IGL than Naphne was, like it's still just the same story over and over again. They're gonna have trouble against these very specific problems, and until they actually have an opera that's committed to the cause or they just sign one, well, I know what their ceiling is. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I think I actually agree with everything that you said there. I feel like. On this level of CS, first of all, I want to say the reason I'm actually a little bit sad about Cloud9 is that I, I think they have some of the best pieces that they can wish for. Like, for example, I think even without an Oper, first of all, the update with the with the lower peakers advantage screwed them over massively because that was one of the few things that they had going on for them on T-sides when uh, Opers were trying to re-peak into them. So I, I completely agree with that. <coughs> and I, I want to go back to the point that you made about Torji and Waro and people like that's performance. I feel like those are the people that on face it, are just going to farm. And those are the people that initially in their career had a, a tough time actually learning to be patient. But then you're playing against a team that doesn't have an Oper and you feel like you can just have a field day, essentially, as you said. Because you're just running against the risk of a, an AK holding you and just instantly headshotting you and being quicker than you are going to be on the AVP, which creates a lot more uh, a lot more possibilities. One thing that I, I'm kind of sad about is the fact that I feel like, first of all, Boomich, I, I love as an IGO and I think he can navigate a really well-playing team. And I think... If you can, if you can pretty much IGL when simple is your Oper and be really successful and handle him and give him the freedom, but make sure that you know he's still playing under the structure, then I feel like you can you can work with pretty much every single Oper out there. Even if uh, you know, I know the reputation might not be the greatest, but even someone like Dexter, who's extremely skilled and hasn't been around for a long time, I think Boomich is a is an IGL that can make him feel comfortable and make him respect what he wants to go for. Second of all, I think. I actually liked watching Electronic the last couple of times. I feel like obviously that was a, a big mismatch for me for him to try an IGL. I think he just uh, he just started wasting a little bit of his skill and what he can contribute to a team and how he can do it with a rifle. I think rotation-wise, he's really good. So as a second voice to the team, I feel like he's great. And then obviously you have Perfecto, who's really who, who's really solid now. I know the take for most people is that, you know, you remove Hobbit and you get an Oper, right? Ideally, it would it would be Monacy, but he's not for sale, apparently. Uh, I'm not going to go down that path because, yeah, uh, it's. Uh, I think you've, you guys even given your opinion on this one already. But I, I'm actually, I feel like unless Axao can actually bring his form back, I would actually like to see Hobbit stay on the team and, and get an Oper for Axao because I feel like Hobbit is is a team that is never going to drag the team down. I think he's just a really solid piece. And if everyone else is doing their job, he's great there. But uh, obviously, that's not the issue. It's just, uh, it's just something that I wanted to add on. The main issue, I feel like you described it really well, is the fact that, for example, on, on some maps, you just, can't, you just can't replace the lack of an op with a good set setup. Most of the time, you're going to see people try and, uh, I guess, compensate for that with, with some uh, different approaches on T-side or CT-side when they have no money for an AVP. C9 need to do that all the time. Or if they don't want to do the time, for example, if they want to, I don't know, fight uh, hard towards middle and, and B lane on Ancient and they want to just leave the AVP on A to lock that part of the map and not think about it, they need to buy Perfecto on AVP. I still remember I watched one Ancient map where Cloud9 had three different people pick up the AVP, which might work in some scenarios but i don't think on elite level you're going to be able to actually get away with this and having an avp in some scenario just it's a part of the game you you can't simply play without it and yeah if you think that perfecto or boomage or whoever is a is a good enough second opener that whenever you need the avp he can pick it up sure but 
I'm not necessarily sure that this is the case when you're a team that has some of the best Russian players out there and you want to win trophies. Okay. Yeah, this is an interesting one because I obviously recently did a video on exactly this lineup, the Electronic Perfecto Cloud9. And the problem was, basically, this is why actually I get a bit annoyed at this thing that people do in Counter-Strike, where what they do is there's a real take, that, but because it becomes the consensus, as in too many people have the take, it just becomes like the counter-circle jerk of like, well, I'm just going to be a contrarian, just agree for no reason. So like, I'll give you the obvious angle. I'm going to call someone out now, actually. Even though I actually did do an interview with that C9 win guy, who's like a mega stan of C Cloud9, he's actually an author American guy, right? The reason why I can't handle that this guy's now doing videos critiquing the problems in Cloud9 is this was the motherfucker when they had that like fucking South African North American lineup was like covering for them being shit at the fucking game and showing how like, you know, even if you lost around like, but they had the right idea. It's like, they're never fucking winning a map, you idiot. Like, what are you? It's Cloud9. So now magically, because these people like out of some 80s movie are from Russia, you can just see every floor of theirs, can you? But yeah, so basically what you're telling me, bruh, is that when you saw fucking Mottam and Aussie, you were looking at that and going, hmm. well, at least they're trying. And then you just tune into like Perfecto and Electronic and go, this just won't do. You won't do one. And then you know what the reason why I'm calling him out? It's not only is there that like vibe check that doesn't check out, by the way, but this is mental. Apparently, his whole shit is like, stop this lazy take of like, they need an AWPA. There's all these fundamental problems. You dumb motherfucker. Those fundamental problems go away if you have an AWPA. The reason you need an AWPA on this team is actually more subtle. Here's what you should have done if you wanted a contrarian take. You take a more nuanced approach on the consensus. So since the consensus can look reductive, it's like, well, look, there's no AWPA on paper so you can't win because you need an opera and counter strike that's not what we're saying like one thing when you guys were talking there that I was thinking of that no one ever verbalizes is bro how did you even manage to make a team that is only riflers normally like think about team liquid or old TSM the joke is normally there's some fucker sort of wants to op on CT side of one map and yeah. you can do it by committee like maybe it's NAF maybe on a different map it actually twists or if people know in Navi bit used to sometimes op like normally in most teams there's actually some fucker where the joke is way convincing star rifles not to open like please don't do it nico stay on the fucking rifle this is one of the only teams i've ever seen with really good riflers and none of them have any fucking game on the op it's actually like <laughs> no joke it's like they must have some sort of humiliation masochistic fetish in this team because it's like you've intentionally made yourself like have the fucking gimp mask on and then letting shiro go was like you just put the padlock on yourself like see you in a week and then you're just like on some breath control shit in a dungeon for a week, you fucking idiot. Because like I say, every other team, you can trip over. Like, I think in... Didn't Stown even open fucking a rock and he was half decent? Like, this yeah. is the only team I've ever seen that has really good riflers, but they're not in any way op players. So if any team ever screamed out, sign a fucking op! And then let's just add this last detail. Even though, yeah, I'm with you guys. You can't do the obvious two, which is simple or monacy. Simple for political reasons. Monacy because he costs more money than God. Bro, outside of that, if I was to like put, like, imagine this is like the supermarket back in the day, and you know that little board they used to have for the old grandmas, like, look, wanted, looking for, you know, secondhand clothes. You put that little card up, you know. If I'm Cloud9, if I'm putting the card up, must be able to speak Russian and op online. It's like, fuck it. The joke is, like, my phone will be like DDoSed off the line, you can't. There's a million of them. There's, there's like an unlimited amount of players. Mega. So the other thing that's frustrating about this one is, like, you don't even need to spend money. And by the way, the Dexter one's an obvious angle this is even what i'm going to say to cloud nine publicly and on this show bro you've got something wrong with your head if hearing that he's toxic means you'd rather lose 13 11 every time on the important third map than just play and have him go 
here's something stupid. Oh, but I did just three, kill three people. I'll just say, fucking just don't listen to him, you fucking idiot. Because in this analogy, like, it's one of the most blatant teams that desperately needs an opera I've ever seen. Like I say, it's not even like this. Is, I believe you can run five rifles. Liquid has done it. North used to do it back in the day. You can do it. Even Astralis did it, for fuck's sake, on T side of Inferno like, the entire time. The problem is this personnel does not fit not having the op. And add this in, I actually think one thing that's hiding behind what you were both talking about with teams like Navi and Cloud9 before with Shiro and Simple, they're also used to their whole careers playing with a dominant op. A dominant op. If you have a dominant CT op, your whole paradigm of what CT is is going to be completely different. You can do it with five rifles, but you're going to have to play it a very consciously, like, covering game, for example. You can't, there's not one guy, like, for example, you can't just leave a guy ramp on his own now, as, on his own. What if you get fucking pop flash and two people peek him? He's dead. With the AWPA, they still have to worry about the re-peak. They still have to play, use extra utility, move him off. Like, you don't have to do any of that shit in this team. So then the other thing I'll say is this. I also think the reason now they must get an AWP is because the other thing you've nailed as well, Ted, is they were, like, almost, almost getting away with it in the old, like, peaker's advantage one, right? The joke of the nerf is, the nerf actually fucks their team because it makes electronic not as OP on T side. On CT side, they don't have an AWP, and the one person who might gain is, like, perfecto, but it's not in a massive degree, so that, that doesn't offset. And then I'll just throw this in there as well. The other reason their CT will always be ropey as fuck without an AWP is because, remember the whole thing people say about Boomich's playing style, is it works if you can, like, offset it. Like, it's obviously a mad, crazy style. Like, on CT, by the way, if people don't know, he still peaks constantly. Like, he still takes the first fight all the fucking time on CT. That is terrible if you don't have an AWPer sitting back on somewhere on the map who can... Because remember, the other thing about an AWPer is that can even up a man disadvantage. You can lose Boomich early in the round and then your AWPer on Inferno whatever still kills two people coming on the site. The rifle guy has so much more work to do in that scenario. So I actually think, it, even though I'm coming back to the original, what might seem reductive point, they really just need an AWPer. Like they, in fact, not need, they must have an AWPer. Because the saddest thing is, I would even say this to them. Like I say, if you look at Kanavitsi, if you look at the last few tournaments, for a team without an AWPer, they're actually getting pretty close to getting some really big wins. In fact, they rarely yeah. get beaten by bad teams, if you notice. It's only the odd time. So if anything, I wouldn't use that as like a way to defend it, though. I would say, guys, you're that close! Literally, if you can keep all of that, like basically Ted nailed it. There's only one question you have. Is it Axile or is it fucking Hobbit? That's it. Yeah. The rest of them are all awesome. The joke is I'd even keep Boomich. I actually think Boomich, even if he's just taken IGL from Electra, it's worked. He's actually, it's actually working. Look, he doesn't frag, but the joke is neither does Axile right now. So yeah, you pick, you pick which one it is. But the other thing is as well, I'll even say this, even though I personally might, I'll probably stick with Axile to hope he gets it together. I will say, this is the mistake Axile made. You have essentially let them recruit the obvious next best replacement for you who is electronic you idiot and now he's not even the agile so like you've almost like fucking put yourself on the dole on that one mate so yeah i think this is actually like it's a good point it's a slab dunk i think it's a bad one in general like because as i say I, even though like part of me wants to go hey look these players are still good don't throw the players away this five-man lineup cannot continue. Like, this lineup will never win a major. It will never win a tier one. So you can't... The other problem they have is that as well, Maui. I think they can win a series. You have to win three series in a row to win a playoffs, guys. And that can't happen for this team. It's impossible. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I, I don't think there's that many positives on this one. Do we go to the ugly then? Ted, what is your ugly? Oh, Wait, okay. no, no. What about your... Oh, true. Oh, yeah. Here we go. Mine is another a good one. Because I actually think I'll do a Maui snake. Do you know the real reason Carrigan was crying, of course? Because he just had to watch <laughs> Shiro up in a final, and then he had to look down the line and see he had fucking Brokey. And I'll tell you what, Brokey lived up to his motherfucking name, because after that, he should be broke. He should be fucking homeless after that. that listen, if people don't know, Brokey was having a really good kind of eight This guy was actually playing awesome until the In the final, he was fucking shamefully bad. 
Like, no joke, this guy, it was it was insane. Like, he actually, for real, I don't, that's one, that's the other reason why, I, on a more serious note, I actually do sort of think Carrigan cried. I think he knows Faceclan didn't come and give their best shot, you know. A bunch of them didn't show up. Like, even people like Rain sort of faded after the first match. Like, actually, it was kind of underwhelming. I've got to say, this final was not a great final across the board. Yeah, part of it's cause you know, inhuman shit was happening on the other side of the server and you always have to consider that factor. But I think Brokey, for real, it's rare that I pick one person. But, mate, I don't even need him to be MVP level. If he just turned up sort of, like, somewhere in between where he was and the MVP level, I think they'd have, like, won a map here. It could have gotten interesting. But, mate, it was killing me. It was actually killing me. The, the joke is, I even saw him have the AWP a bunch of times and get no kills and just lose it really simply because I always thought the problem Brokey has in his game is he is like the modern JW. It's so aggressive and gamble-focused that, look, it looks hilarious when it's working and he's, like, no-scoping all those guys at the, the fucking short tunnel on the overpass. It's like, lol, he's re-peaking. This shouldn't work. Yeah, but then when he misses, that looks fucking garbage. He's just dead instantly with an AWP. So, like, I actually do think this is a, a rare example of one player. Like, this, I, the whole final, I was waiting for him, mate. I was just waiting for this guy to wake up. I thought it was, it was terrible. Yeah, I think... I think the, the example that you gave with JW is actually really good. I, that's the first time I'm thinking of it. I feel like the difference between uh, Brokey and JW, though, is the fact that JW was extremely more skilled than everyone else back then. Because, like, early... I'm, I'm talking early days here. Sure, I feel yeah. like JW joins in, and obviously the punishes weren't that big, right? You could afford to miss a couple of shots on, on the Tier 1 level because you're JW, sure. and you're, like, three times more skilled than the Rifler on the other side. And maybe if... If, I, I don't know, maybe if the other team has a good oper, then you're going to get punished. Or if they have a superstar, you're going to be punished. I don't feel like the margin is that massive right now for you to actually make misses and not get punished. So, yeah, I think if you're JW, obviously it was different times of CS. You could afford to try and be a little bit more flashy. You could try and afford to be a bit more BME. I still am a big fan of this, by the way. I, I must say, I'm not a fan of, you know, boring oping, even though I appreciate calculations and I appreciate smart people. I actually like it when Brokey goes for something crazy because I'm like, you know what? This guy is winning trophies. He wants to win the trophies, but he's still making it entertaining because in the end of the day, it has to be entertaining. But I, I, I do agree. I feel like I, I wouldn't go as far as to say that he's, he's you know, shit. As a lot of people, I, I, I'm just seeing a lot of people just call him straight up shit. I don't think he's garbage. I think... For me, he's just maybe the most awkward Oper to actually describe. Because, like, throughout throughout my entire life, I think the Opers are the players that I've been... Opers and IGLs and coaches are the three roles in the team I've been the most interested in throughout my entire life. I can give a pretty good opinion on, I think, every single Oper, maybe from, a, from the top 75. Maybe some teams that are even over that. I can't really give that deep of an opinion on Brokey because I don't understand why things are happening with him. Because... On, on one day, it feels like, first of all, he, he never struck me a couple of years back. He never struck me as an elite level oper. He just struck me uh, as a really good oper, but I was never looking at him and seeing what I was, what I'm seeing, for example, what I was seeing in Shiro when, when he was growing up. I've never, I'm not even uh, speaking about people. I'm not even mentioning people like Simple or Zywo on the AVP, not as players in general, but on the op. He never struck me like a player like that, but throughout the last couple of years, I actually feel like He's just had too many great, like, show-stopping performances for me to ignore it and be like, okay, this guy isn't an elite-level oper. He obviously is an elite oper. But, again, as you said, for me, it's just shocking how for him it's just night and day because he has one of the greatest tournaments that he can have up until the grand final. And then at the grand final, when you're the AVP, Peaker's advantage has been reduced. So I'm thinking, you know what? Maybe he is the guy that can actually deny Dong from some of those plays because he doesn't really... 
give a damn about a lot of things, right? He's got a lot of confidence. He he can try and BM you. He's not going to get tilted that easily early on. So I'm like, you know what? He might be the perfect opener to play against him after Jane. But uh, that's a completely different point. I just enjoy watching Jane play against Donk. It's hilarious. Uh, but I, yeah, I, I don't actually know how I feel about Borky. I feel like for for me... I, I don't want to say... By the I way, the bad, my bad point is just specifically him in the final, essentially. Yeah, him in the okay, final okay. Yeah, well, that was... I think he's a really good player, but I think he just didn't turn up to that final. Though. Yeah, yeah, there. yeah. <laughs> it's just really awkward because he has those moments every now and then, right? Sure. When in, in a big moment, he just goes missing. But I do think he's an elite-level opera as well. I do think he's really good. But yeah, I have no explanation on why, that ha why that's happened. Maybe, I don't know, maybe he just didn't believe what was going on in the server maybe he was just like you know what this kid is running around and just destroying me what can i do i i have no idea because through my eyes i expected as you said at least a middle performance from him during the final but uh yeah it was just may maybe it was just a terrible day for him who knows uh i, I feel like with with brokey it is i mean he's he is just like a high variance player in general i think that's kind of like how i would sum it up he's just yeah, he's willing to do a lot in terms of risks and everything like that, and he doesn't really seem like he minds doing something that's out of the box, which I actually think is uh, usually one of his strengths, actually, that he pushes yeah. the envelope more than other a lot of oppers. Um, for the finals, um, yeah, Nuke, I don't even think he had the op, like, at all. Um, he got he got no kills with it on that map. On... I think he had, like, one or two rounds with it, and he died instantly or I something. I think so, like yes. That. Yeah. Okay, yeah, and then um, on, on Mirage, I feel like it's kind of hard to like say like with, with like the pressure moment i suppose like like i've seen brokey come up big in big moments before so i'm not really like nailing it down to him i think this is kind of like what differentiates somebody like an all-time great opera or something like that to somebody that's a little bit more just very good and one that we like will go down and like history will smile upon him but it's not going to be one that's just like we're not gonna we're, we're not gonna like run through the streets singing Brokey's name anytime soon. That's just that's just the fact of the matter. I felt like it was he was much more impressive with the rifle and even on pistol rounds I feel like he had he did he did better um than with the op. So yeah, I mean I, I don't really know where else to go with this other than just like he probably did not have the easiest game for himself. I feel like um I don't know. I don't I like uh, other than that like it's, it's just it is it's one series for me other than that like yeah, Brokey had a really good tournament. So I'm not really ringing the alarm bells. I think I just like I'm throughout throughout what he did at Katowice, I'm not really upset about it other than literally one series and I'm not going to say it's forgivable entirely like you'd want him to perform better. But this is yeah, it's like that's just where I fall with Brokey where it's like he's only sometimes the guy where I'm like, oh yeah, this is why. Like when I when I see Face, he's not like necessarily always the win condition for me. I see now I see the team and I'm more like the calls from Kerrigan, the late late, late round clutches from Rops, and also now Frozen and Fr Rain can sometimes be like such a great point man, and then and then Frozen can be such a uh, just picks up like the scraps in the middle. What I would say is this, like, it was my bad point. My bad point is he didn't turn up in the final, hence the final was shit. Like, that could have been mm. the, one of the greatest finals ever. You guys are answering, oh, okay. like, is Brokey yeah. a good player or not? Like, what? Like, okay, okay that's, okay. I mean, no one asked that, yeah. but all right, yeah, you can do that if you want. Now, by the way, everyone can have a bad game as well. I'm not saying quite from phase. My point is this, by the way, if Shiro and Dog turned up and that was shit in that final, we'd all be calling him out right now saying, you didn't do it online. Hey, watch out, Land's a different game, you know? Well, then I've got to do that to someone who's won a major too. Like, it's not like he's yeah. just allowed to go 
huh? There's the, here you go, dog. Have the fucking IM trophy. You're supposed to go. No, you have to fucking take it from me. I, the joke is, I'm the veteran. I'm supposed to be the one balling on land, right? Okay, Ted. What is uh, your ugly point? Okay. Uh, first of all, I want to start this off by say, by saying that I'm I'm extremely sorry, and uh, in the meantime, I'm not sorry to all my Balkan brothers because I'm, I'm I'm a Balkan representative in the scene, and I've come in with an ugly point about the Balkan mentality in uh, in CS, which I think is a is a big problem that not a lot. By the of way, just actually... to clarify, because you have to remember, Ted, like there's a lot of yeah. countries in Europe, and the joke is that yeah. even English people wouldn't know this, right? One thing people get confused by is Balkan is a very specific area. It's like Serbia, Croatia, that area. It's not the same as Slavics, like for example, like but no, like... no, it doesn't include Slovakia, yeah, Slovenia, the Czech yes. Republic, and yeah, yes. it, it, it's more like Bulgaria, so for example, Macedonia, it... Serbia, Romania. So your, your country is included as well as the point, right? You you yeah, include yeah, my, yes. my country. So he's not he's not just calling other people out here, by the way. He's actually call out his own people i'm just making that I'm clear i'm calling out myself yeah, yeah there you go. i, was go on, player, I might it. have had the same problem yeah so what's the balkan uh, issue but, then okay then uh I, I'm, I'm gonna start it off like this uh i think it was in some of the last like one or two episodes you had a conversation about the brazilian scene and the problem that they have that they have no support players and everyone's aggressive oh, sure. everyone wants to be yes. a star everyone wants to be a rifler an igl and stuff like that so the balkan issue i feel like has something to do with it but it's a little bit different in its own way the Balkan issue, and I've, I've discussed that with a lot of people, I think the, the most profitable conversation in terms of outcome that I've had on this topic was with uh, the ex-analyst for Game Religion, who was their analyst, it was Monster, the Romanian guy who was oh, analyst okay. when they made the finals. Uh, we had a really good conversation about this actually a couple months ago. I feel like the Balkan scene is really good at producing individually extremely skilled players and has a lot to do like with... Uh, we're just creating good players in general. It has a lot of similarities with the CAS region, for example. And that's the reason that for me it's an ugly point because I see the Balkans as a region that could produce some of the best players and some of the best right. teams in the world. But then the main issue that we have, and this is where uh, I can give the Brazil, uh, the Brazilian scene as an example. Can you try and name more than three good Balkan IGLs or support players or entries that are playing high level? And they're not a one in a thousand generational talent like uh, like Kixan, yes. like Madden. Uh, we're not even mentioning Nico, Hunter, and Exa, right? Yes. But you have five people, and they're not playing on fully Balkan lineups. And Nico and Hunter is a bit of a different thing because they they're a family, so they're going to be able to work uh, well with each other a little bit easier. I feel like and Exa and Hunter have been friends for a long time. I feel like one of the main things for uh, the Balkan scene is historically we haven't been good at creating teams we haven't been good at building up teams at building up igls support players coaches a lot of the times you're going to look at the coaches most of the coaches that are coaching balkan teams and our balkan coaches in, in general they weren't as successful players right you're not going to see the the neos and tazis of the polish scene going coaches you're not going to see people like for example spy leader now is gone who is one of the best bulgarian igls uh you you look at some of the igls that are coaching some of the best balkan teams right now you have btn who's been doing that for 20 years you don't have any young romanian igls doing it you look at the serbian scene uh the uh, i'd say one of the best uh, coaches assistant coaches like young guy going into it is feed who's an assistant coach for sprout right now he wasn't a player uh, you have Emmy and Letney who have been around for 20 plus years and still it feels like a project is not going to really succeed if they're not involved in it in Serbia. And uh, we have the same problem here in Bulgaria as well. I mean, outside of Bubble, who's now trying to transition to a coach, we have Tokyo who didn't really used to be that successful of a sure. player either. And I, I feel like this is a, this is a big issue because this scene has a lot of raw power, a lot of raw talent. 
but it just it just doesn't have i feel like the mentality to build up good teams obviously a big factor is that we don't have organizations as well right this is one of the big differences between the cas and the balkans because in the cas you have a lot of uh, you have a lot of organizations you had a lot of igls that because of the existence of those organizations have played for a little bit longer maybe have taken the game a little bit more seriously and they're trying to teach younger people what to do we have a couple of igls that have been recycled for and and they're still getting recycled for the last couple of years I mean, even even look at look at Bloody Eternal Fire. They're probably playing their best CS up to this day. Sure. And I'd say that this Eternal Fire lineup I actually like more than the Space Soldiers one of a couple of years yeah, back. Yeah. And they're using Major, who who was the IGO of that yep. previous lineup. Major's been an IGO for the last 15 years, maybe. And you tried it with Woxic, you tried it with Zantaris. It didn't work. And I feel like maybe one of the things that I hate as well about this, because it's a, it's a big mentality thing, and I can honestly stay here and, and talk for 40, 50 minutes only on that topic, because it's, it's the thing that I do maybe the most, or uh, at least a lot, because I'm surrounded by it. But it, it kind of forces players like Ships, for example. You mentioned him. I'm going to mention him again. It kind of forces players like Ships to be like, okay, you know what? I'm not born to be an IGO, because for me, and that might be a little bit of a hot take, I think Ships has the role potential and talent to play tier one CS. No, I'm not sure he's if he very still... skilled. Yeah, he looked exactly. And yeah. he still is. I think he he's one of the smartest players I've ever watched outside of tier one, outside okay. of, you know, solidified tier one people. I think he's extremely smart. And then you're forcing a guy like this because he wants to play with Bulgarians and, you know, for whatever reason, this is his, his job is not mine, but you're forcing a guy like this to kind of transition into an IGO because he's playing in this team and he's like, okay, I don't really feel like I can give respect to anyone from my region who's IGLing. I know the game better, even though I'm not an IGL. I don't want to listen to those guys. And uh, this is a massive issue. And obviously, why he's thinking that is the other issue. And this is the last one that I'm the last point I'm actually going to make. I feel like Balkan players just realize how big of a skill uh, ceiling they have. And I feel like that makes ego uh, a, a big, a big issue because looking at the younger generation and i've had that chance to actually interview a couple of you know young danish players in the last couple of weeks scandinavian guys the big difference that i'm seeing in the mindset of those guys compared to the young bulgarian people i feel like they're a lot more willing to actually learn and and listen to people even if they even if the person talking to them is not a, a five-time major winner right there's they would still listen they would still be like you know what i realize i'm 16 i realize i'm 17 i might be able to shoot a couple heads but that's not going to take me too far if i don't have the right mindset if i don't listen if i don't do what the team needs me to and i feel like this is something that actually the balkan scene really suffers from uh because first of all there's not a lot of people that are willing to actually try and teach those young guys what to do and uh second of all because the youngsters are simply just too impudent maybe to actually listen to those guys even if they're trying to uh explain that so yeah i think this is a big issue the way to maybe fix it is if some of the more successful balkan players when they retire come back to their countries and, and try and actually build something up from scratch so that fans don't have to turn coaches and, and try and coach but uh yeah this is this is my ugly take hold on maui What's your hot take on the Balkan region? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I feel like this is a topic that I'm just really out of my It's all good. On. I'd make yeah, it abstract I, then. Maybe give I, some abstract I, thoughts about yeah. why, why I mean, you think I mean, people in, don't develop in, roles or whatever, you know? Sure. sure. In, gen in general, like, I mean, the only Balkan in-game leader I feel like I'm aware of right now is Synopsy from Guild Eagles. Like, I don't really, I don't really know. I guess, I guess if you include Major from... From oh yeah, I wanted to say Guild Eagles are a massive anomaly. I have no idea how this is working out, but yeah, congrats to them because they're, they're a massive anomaly for our region. I think. Okay. Okay, so like that's 
that's practically it. I mean, there were more teams from that region. I feel like like uh, a while ago, but like I'm not I'm not really too from like the Bulgarian scene in particular. I remember had a couple teams that I would I would notice punching up sometimes in tier two. But like I think it kind of sounds like everything you're describing reminds me a lot of like say the Brazilian scene or say the North American scene where or basically anywhere where there isn't a clear lineage of in-game leaders where people are like like there's just there's just no one really that has the reps and like sure there's one thing to be said about like players not taking instruction from from anybody period and then there's another where it's like they need it to be like a five-time major winner but like there is like something to it also where it's like i actually I, sometimes i i do side with the players because like i i don't know when like when someone does come in with like trying to be a coach and i don't i don't really see that they have like the tactical backing and they just want to yeah. speak in more like macro level high level concepts then i'm not really going to take too much from that anyways because once i'm in the server it's easy to see like basically when i played tier two in North America, I had this coach that was kind of like very backseaty and very also like mm -hmm. very just like 2020 hindsighty. And I was like, dude, everything you're saying, I could just watch the demo and see myself. You're not really actually telling me anything that's going to help yeah. me in the future. And so it's very difficult for like some of these coaches, like every like what the beauty of Counter-Strike is that you can always see so obviously if someone made a mistake, like it's so, so clear to us as day that it's like, that was a bad play. That was a mistake. But it's like, how do you prevent those play from more of those plays happening in the future? And there are simply put, not many people in the world that are good at doing that. If there were, well, then the level of Counter-Strike we would be watching day in day out would be at a much higher level but frankly put when you're in the moment where you have to worry about your mechanics to like 70 percent and then you have to think about your positioning and macro elements to a 30 percent degree like you're gonna that that 30 percent of what you're thinking about in terms of like the macro picture it generally just falls out the window that's why you see people like brokey just make ridiculous ass plays but his mechanics are better than he's in the 98th percentile of people in tier one for mechanics so like you kind of forgive him sometimes for the macro stuff I'll actually do the opposite. Since Maui went like abstract, I'll just do literal specifics. Like I'll essentially answer your question. I'll tell you why the Balkan scene hasn't succeeded and never will. So I'll go through a little history lesson. So if people don't know, the players he's talking about, like Bobble and Spiley, they came around 10 years ago, guys. 10 years ago, that was the original team, which a North American squad would come over and do a boot camp in Europe before like an IEM. And then they'd get like a random scrim game and they'd be like, who the fuck are these guys at two in the morning? And they'd all get there, not just beaten, they they would get destroyed like 16 yeah. 2 and they'd be going, Who the fuck are they? That's why, by the way, people were so eager to believe that some of those victories that they cheated, of course, because everyone knew these guys were the demons online that would just wreck everyone. But the problem has, it's actually why I'll use your analogy, I'll actually use the space soldiers example. The problem space soldiers always had was that was all they had. They were just a team with high variants online that played really crazy with high skill, but they didn't actually have like the structure of the team. They didn't have the pieces. The joke now is to this day, the reason I don't believe in Eternal Fire, I like to watch them. They're a fun upset team. I'll tell you what, I might bet on them as an underdog. I don't like them as a team though, because it's just, it's, not, it's an all-star team of like, you're all supposed to be the star player. Normally an all-star team's like, and I'm an all-star support. And I'm like, no, no, this like, the joke here is, these are all the people who were the star players of their teams. And now they were like, why don't we all try playing together at the same time? And so that makes like a super high variance 
skilled, but it's not like a, it's not real Counter Strike. You're not going to win tournaments doing that. You're not going to ever be like mega relevant. So that's yeah. the one angle. And then obviously on the Serbian angle, they tried the same thing. It obviously was the team with fucking crazy Hunter and Nexa and people like that around back then. But even then they had to mix in like fucking Lithuanian guy and Finnish guy. Yeah, even then it was yeah. a messy team. So the big problem you have is this, is because those teams have never gotten past the level, essentially there's never been a great Bulgarian or Serbian slash... What it, I don't even know what the term would be now because the problem now in the modern days now politics comes in like I would say Yugoslavia because it covers the whole fucking thing but then it'd be oh my let's god let's just like, say a great yeah. Balkan so basically yeah. the point is like because yeah. you can't have that because there's never been a team like Crazy was almost did it they almost made the playoffs but yeah. they didn't because no one's done it no one believes it's possible so since they don't believe it's possible instead culturally you look at what does work and if you look at what works if you're in the Serbian scene you just look and go well the, what you do is leave the Serbian scene you go I've got Kasada and Janko by the way they would be your coaches if they had to coach in the Balkan region. They would be mega experienced coaches. Can't have them because yeah. they coach real big international squads. And where are the big players? Remember, if we are working a team tomorrow, like if I'm looking from Nico's POV, yeah, I don't want him to make a Balkan super team because it'll be worse for him. It'd be better for every fucking Balkan player. If you have Nico, Hunter, by the way, Nexa would be in the state. Madden, the joke is we're yeah. only an IGL away. We're only one IGL and that's already, by the way, a top 10 team. Or an op. Immediate, or, an op. Or, or an op. You can do that. Well, the joke is Nico does that as well. He IGLs and ops and does everything, doesn't he? So, <laughs> but basically, Basically, yeah, obviously those players don't play in the scene. Well, all I'll say is this. Go to any other region that's like a smaller region and take out like their top three or four players and then their most experienced. You're not going to be left for much there either. Like I tell you what, if I do that to the Brazilian scene, it's also going to shrink. You're going to have a lot of no-namers or people have been semi-pros or tier 1.5. So in a literal sense, that's a bad scenario. And then I'll throw this in as well, which is I actually do think this kind of ties into one of the first points about big that we were talking about before, which is one of the issues I have is this, is when I watch CS, I'm doing it very selfishly guys I'm just thinking of things like can I see the highest level CS so I don't care as result what country you're from similarly I've said it before I don't care if someone's friends or someone I don't care if Shox and Smith's are friends I want Shox to win I want to see a great player win as much as I can so even though he'd be like but he is my friend it's like, yeah but I'm not you so I don't I don't have that aspect of it. that doesn't affect my opinion so another problem you have is if I actually think specifically like if I'm reverse engineering the position 10 how do I get like a Balkan super team or how do I get a top 10 team it's just Balkan then the first thing I would say is that shouldn't just be a a condition I'm putting in the hypothetical that should be almost the mission of the team like what Big Clan was doing once upon a time where the whole mission was yeah. it has to be Germany in fact Tabson would say I'm here to make Germany on top again not just to make me on top I want Germany specifically essentially he sort of in a way so I actually think it's quite heroic he sort of essentially said I'll sacrifice my career in individual glory to see if Germany can be better at CS the problem is people just don't really do that at the moment in the world anyway like I say I think actually the view it's a bit more like football is like you go to any team you want anywhere in Europe and in fact I even think now sadly it's become a status symbol. If you can actually be the one who leaves, you do feel like, oh, I'm leaving these bombs behind, I'm going off. And yep. then also, if you are a Madden, you're never going back unless you have to. So the real problem is you'd almost have to, like, here's the best, here's the only real way it could actually practically happen. First of all, it'll have to be the Serbian scene because they've got Nico. And then what you need is this. What you really need is Nico has to have, like, a year where he wins the major and he has a fucking baller tier one year and then he just decides, like you're saying, look, I'm not washed yet, but I'm not, you know, I'm 80% of what I used to be at my peak. That's still good enough where I could be like a mega player on this Balkan team. I go back, maybe I take a couple of these people, maybe Madden's still around, maybe Hunter's still, whatever it might be. And then, like you say, this is the key thing. Then I don't just go cynically and go, who are the next two best Serbian players? No, no, that's when, like you say, I have to actually, this because only people like Nico Casada and Yanko, I think, could fix this because they've got the power and the status. If they came in and expressly, right, right, the other two players are players who haven't been at the top. And in fact, we're going to help shape you. I'm going to pick the IGL and like, let's say a supportive player or an entry player. We're going to bring you in 
win and the whole mission is because we want like Serbia, whatever country you want to pick, this region to succeed. We're actually going to, we're going to help you get to that next level. We're going to work with you. We're not just going to kick you off there a month. We're not just going to fail the land and get the next best guy who fragged 0.1 rating higher. Like, but you see, the problem there is that's culturally very different to what I think people are doing as pros and counter I think now, sadly, people have almost got like a globalist mentality of like, I don't care where I go. I just want to get my money and I want to win. Whereas I have to say, as much as people might think it's an ugly thing, I think in things like games, I actually think there would be like a special reason to cheer for a team in a way that they wouldn't if it's just the the 13th best team and we're all with those EU flags and one guy from Hungary, one guy from Germany, one guy, you know, the, those teams don't have the same flair except for what they do in yeah. the service. So I also do think that it's not a totally like archaic point. I actually think there, there could be a value to this. And as you say, obviously the biggest problem as well you have when those great people leave the scene is they're not passing anything on. It's one thing if you if, if Nico's on the best Serbian team, he doesn't have to recruit the guys like I just said there who are bombs. But at least yeah. if he's playing against them every week, they're going to get a chance to see what it's like to play a tier one pro and see what he does and how he. By the way, even simple things like how he how he trains, how he doesn't just take time off or doesn't eat a big burger before the game. Even simple things like that could actually be mega valuable to these young players. Because I agree, one thing it is definitely not it is not a skill issue. Like I just said about at the beginning about the Bulgarian, they were fucking really sick players. The problem they had was they weren't doing all the other things about being a pro and that can only get you. So far, that's like essentially like it's like the team version of being an FPL star. It can get you a, a chance, but then you've got to learn real CS after that. So yeah, there's a good one. Right. What is your ugly point, Maui? Um yeah, I don't I I guess like it's it it's so it feels almost sacrilegious to do this after how much praise has been heaped upon this guy over. Yeah, that's so why it's fair though. That's why it's fair. Yeah. But I think it's time to just do a really true and and just honest re-examining of threat and his contributions to NIP because it has been disastrous. Like he is shown a an absurd level of incompetency in terms of roster moves and choices with this team that have now plummeted it to a point that is beneath anything that the NIP organization, according to like HLTV, I think this is the worst that they've ever been. And right. it's not getting any better. Right. Like they, they went zero three today in the RMR. Um, and there was even an interview that was conducted a couple days ago about some of the decisions they made yep. in the lead up to this. And it is really, really damning. Like they chose Alex over Cadian. Like that is so blasphemous in terms of everything we knew. But then, but then Threat said the quote is even going back to the end of 2022 when we went international. Alex was one of the names I was looking at. He was in Movistar Riders for such a long time, overperforming with the players he had, limiting limiting himself only to Spanish players. I feel like when we're looking at this, and I the thing is that I I, I brought up NIP actually on the last snake and banter as my bad point, and now it's just become ugly because now it's just so obvious that Thread has actually been the problem here. Thread Thread has actually literally just hamstrung this team with bad decision after bad decision. On another thing, they said that there was a choice between who were they kicking, Config or Brolin, and they and they benched Brolin. Like there's this is two bad moves in a row for them. Like you could have had Cadian, you could have had Brolin. You like now you're playing with Alex. And you're playing with config like that's just the most unserious team ever now like that's such an that's such a joke in terms of the decision making there beyond that i mean in terms of like pure results they've been they've been just so damn bad and then the thing is that like i i look at um some of the other quotes from people there like the the nip director of performance um 
they say that if, he says if the effect we want is just to be in the best position to continue building in six months or one year i don't think age matters that much i mean that was part of the reason they picked con they wanted to basically prioritize winning today over winning tomorrow which also just like doesn't really make sense to me like what would it why if you have two guys on a contract who are very very similar in performance i feel like in this space kasad uh, has been like hammering this point for such a long time you take the guy that's younger because he has more room to develop and we've also seen pretty high really high peaks i guess we've seen high peaks from both of them to be fair, between Config and Brolin, but Brolin's have been so much more recent. Like Config's, Config was top 20 in the world in 2017. Brolin was in 2019 and in 2020. Like that's such a that's such a damning idea to just pick a guy that was good seven years ago over a guy that was good two, three years ago, four years ago, and was is 21 years old versus 26. Like that's just that's such a silly that's such a silly idea. So I feel like that guy has made an obvious mistake too. Um, and I feel like when I look at the quote from Threat about like what was the problem with this team, he cites leadership. He said like when he said I'm going to make some changes in this team and I'm looking at leadership, it's like. I'm not sure if he was responsible necessarily for Hampus over Alexi B, but if he if he was, that was entirely damning. I do I did think that threat came in kind of after that decision was already made, but like come on, like Hampus wasn't really the problem with this team in my opinion. It's literally the personnel, the players on the team. Like D, like when I've seen like Hampus had improved as an in-game leader, obviously like Okay, look at all these players and look at what they're kind of going, what they're with greener pastures they're on now in some way, like, or or what could have been basically. And you look at Hampus is a bad example because he just jumped into a bleed project that has just started and you can't really, I, it's it's a little bit early to grade that one. But you look at Brolin and he's obviously very good on Maus. Like he's obviously a very serviceable player. He has a chance to be a top 20 player this year. He's probably going to be on the fringe if he even makes it, but it, he could. he's probably a top 30 player this in this upcoming year. And then you just, you just have to point like, it was threat that was making these decisions and it's not it's it's you know sometimes people in this space put targets on their back well threat has done that and he's honestly just really shown the whole world that like it with with verified decisions that are made by him that he has just not saw what made teams great and he's just made decisions that has made his team verifiably worse yeah, I mean, uh, I actually I actually was thinking about bringing out NIP as one of my points, and I saw you guys discuss it in the previous episode, and I was like, ah, oh, you're not going to want to talk about NIP2 episodes in a row. Well, uh, here we go. But yeah, I think one of the most... Mate, we're still talking about fucking the air quality in Kanavitsi. You have to understand, <laughs> on this show, when we fucking... Yeah. We're bulldogs. When we get a boat and we don't let go, go on, come in, join us. Okay. Uh, well, I think... It was really awkward for me actually reading that article that said, you know, we are aiming to be a top team by 2025. I think you saying that publicly is really different to uh, the staff having an eternal conversation and just setting up a goal for themselves. And the reason behind that is I feel like when you say that publicly, you're just telling your players, okay, we don't believe you can be great in the next six months. So that's why we're putting up such a massive goal. I feel like that just puts a lot of pressure on the players, even if they did have a chance to uh, become a, a great team, which I think in, in that scenario, even though I actually like most of the players on this lineup, I don't think this is a good mixture for any of them. So yeah, I think some of the decisions from NAP staff have been uh, a bit off, maybe. I'm not necessarily sure if, uh, like I, I'm not 100% sure if Thread is the one making all the decisions. So that's why I'm not, uh, I'm not pointing fingers here, but if he is uh, the one responsible for them, surely that's a, a bit of an L on his side. Well, I say a bit of an L on his side. It, it's just been going really bad. Also on the Brolin and Config replacement, I feel like obviously it makes a lot more sense, right? And uh, as you said, Casada's been uh, speaking about this, I feel like, for a long time. And it is close to the mind. I mean, 
one of them is 26. As Maui said, he was he was good. Even though, by the way, I just want to clarify, I'm a big Config fan. I was a Nord fan back in the day. I loved Config. So I'm I'm trying to be as unbiased as possible, but Brolin was the better choice to stay if, if this is how things are, right? You're choosing between a player that was really good back in 2017. I still feel like Config in, individually, mechanically-wise, is great. But I do feel like he just needs... And I don't want to say that because it's going to make it sound like Alex or Hampus did something wrong. I just feel like he just needs a stronger voice in terms of an IGL for him to be able to actually show his potential. And, and again, he's going to be probably best case scenario the second best rifler on the team i'm not saying player because obviously you're gonna have the upper he's gonna be the second best rifler if he has an a, a hyper managing igl that's gonna be able to actually use his firepower but if you gotta choose between brolin who's 21 and uh config who's 26 and you know brolin obviously wasn't feeling happy in this team well i i, I guess you could say that no one is really feeling too happy but Obviously, you go for uh, you go for Brolin, right? I mean, look at what Vitality did. They replaced Dupree, and it's not the same scenario. They they had just won a major. Dupree was still playing extremely well. They replaced him for Flames because they're trying to invest in their future, right? So it, it kind of feels awkward for me to pick to pick to remove Brolin. Obviously, it's a lot easier to make that point now when we've seen that Brolin is actually still really good when he's playing on Mouse, right? Because no one actually knew that. Uh, he would turn out to be that great a couple months ago. So maybe this is something that, obviously, if NIP knew, they, they would have uh, stuck with him. But yeah, uh, I, I feel like it's just it's just a mess. It's just a mess what's going on there. Uh, as Maui said, if Thread is the one making all the decisions there, then something massively has to change. And I'm a little bit unhappy because I feel like I like most of the players on the team, but this mixture, I think it's it's well over its expiration date. My problem is I obviously don't know how much of the roster moves are actually Threat's choice. As in, yeah. I, if you know what his personality is like, he is not the guy who's ever going to infer that it was someone else who made a bad decision. He's going to just tank the aggro and his job almost is to say, yes, of course I wanted Alex. Yes, I'm going to work well with him and it's going to work out. And by the way, I think that's even what's inferred by see you all in 2025. Like he's essentially telling you, like, like you won't get it done with the piece I've got now. Like I need longer. I know what you mean by that. Like, that's one of those things that you say internally the long-term project but the fan doesn't want to hear that forget the player the fan doesn't want to hear so this year's a write-off too because remember if you're a nip fan here's how it goes bro we used to have device then he was just sat on the bench for a whole year. Then we had all these other pieces. Listen to these names, guys. They had some of these players overlapping, but this whole list of names is mental. They had Alexi B as an in-game leader. They had Brolan as a rifler. They had Device as their AWPer. They had Rez as a rifler. They had Esetag as a support player, and they had Hampers as an AWPer or a lurker, right? You pick which five you want out of those. If you could actually pick the right five, bro, that's like an elite team right there. That could be a really good team. Like you've got the fact you've got the AWPer, you've got the IGL, you've got like some experience, you've got some younger players, you've got skill all over the place, you've got people who fit the Mate, the pieces were, this is why if you're a Nip fan, it's so enraging because everything like went the opposite. It was almost like there was a conspiracy to make that lineup never, ever exist because Device did just sit there, radio silence for a whole year. The only rumor was he's going to Astralis, he's going to Astralis, but when? It took like six to eight months, if people remember. It took forever to get that deal done. Then you had the whole thing of like, they've got Alexi B. If you look now with that list of names I gave of when they had Alexi B, they gave Alexi B almost the most ass version of that set of players I just listed off there he didn't get device he got the team where my joke was they got the same player and just copy and pasted him they got fucking res into brawler into config and it's like on that one it's like one's a copy paste and the other one just has a fucking pulser out of its mouth like they're all just fucking
fucking aggro entry players, you moron. Where are all the other types of rifler? And then my joke is this. The joke is like, it's like you now you wish you had Alexi B. You're like, well, what do you mean? We have got Alexi. It's like, yeah, soy Alexi, see? Like, there you go. They've got Alexi C. That's all they've got. Fucking, and it is C. It's a grade lower than Alexi B. So you know what? They're fucking garbage, isn't it? So, And by the way, another one you've actually almost stumbled onto there is, notice when all these players leave, right? Device, back to his absolute best. Fucking Alexi B, back to being a really great IGL. Brolan magically walks into a mouse jersey and suddenly, like, his powers are no longer drained by the kryptonite of NIP around his neck that apparently was making him, like, half as good. I will say, the Brolan one, I can give them a slight bit of grace for, which goes like this. I actually have a theory on Broland that I don't think anyone else has got. I think he has what I call JKS syndrome, which is this. You actually need to be the star player in order to be really good or have your positions exactly what you want, basically. But you do not have the temperament to ask for those things or to demand them. Sometimes to be a... By the way, every star player gets called a diva at some point by one team or another. Because eventually, what I'm basically saying is this. Look, since I'm better than you, give me what I need and what you maybe want, you have to give up to make me better. But collectively, it will make us as a team better. They don't tend, They don't say it like I just said it there, like reasonable. They just sort of say, you're shit, give me that. And so they all get it. But I'll tell you what, that if you notice, it's why when you hear all these stories about Zewu, he does sound like an alien. The idea he's got that skill level, but then he doesn't have this like desire to carry it to Brolan I think's in this category and I think what happens in an IP is I think he just wasn't a big voice and so he got pushed to the outskirts and he ended up compromising because if you look at the one team he was really great in it was the Fnatic squad right that was when they were all old as fuck and they knew he was the only he was like fucking Anakin Skywalker he was like the chosen one of the Swedish scene I guarantee they set him up they told him you're taking these roles you're doing this you're getting everything you want because they knew by the way like we're JW Flush and Crims we're not winning now but we can win if you're fucking sick if you're top 20 player we can do it I think they done the same thing in Mouse. I think in Mouse, you just lost your star rifle that had everything he wanted and you know you can't fill it with the other players. So you're trying to make Brawl on that player. So since you're giving him all the things he wants, now suddenly he looks good again. So look, that is an indictment on some level of it, but I think some of that's also on Brawlan. Basically, the bigger point I would make is this. I agree. The results are trash and the roster management is terrible because notice I didn't say they don't have any players. It's not like the one of those teams like, oh gee, it never gets good. They've had loads of players. They just never get them all together at the same time. They completely mismanage whatever the big vision is. And I'll just throw this in there. The reason it really sticks in your craw to hear now we're going to give it a whole year and go to 2025 is like, couldn't we do that with Alexi B, you fucking moron? That would, that would actually, that's the the seed that could grow into something. Alex in a year and a half isn't going to be like Glaive, is he? Like, that's not even on the table. So, and also, let's just throw this out there. You didn't just go and get Alex. You traded from Alexi B to Hampus, to Hampus not even in the Orc to ended up on Alex. That's like, you're, you're like the shittest ever at fucking porn stars I've ever seen. You're just getting wrecked all the time by that porn guy. He seems like, you can come back next week for a brawl if you want when he's used up. Like, give me a break. Like, you're not, you're, you've traded from Alexi B, prime Alexi B, to fucking Ale Alexi C, like I say. Like, that's what you actually did as an Orc. So I think that's the indictment right there. And then lastly, in, in the midst of the worst PR campaign you've maybe ever had, you've totally fucked up the last two years, right? There's a player everyone's talking about called Donk. You're going to go out of your way to let the world know you weren't scouting this player and you had no idea he existed. What, why not next just tell me like an embarrassing story about the time you shit yourself in a fucking supermarket? What, what, what was the upside of that story? Bro, read the room. Right now, everyone's hating you. Everyone's actually saying like, Maui, are you competent at your job? Are you just a legendary figure from the old days who shouldn't be around anymore? Like, 
don't, go, don't that's an example of where like you know if in doubt don't open your mouth and let everyone know, know you don't know what the fuck you're talking about because when people look at players like here's what here's the part that doesn't make sense about that statement fans didn't even nail this is how could you know who Alex is but not Dong that's the problem I have it's because you're implying you didn't just watch him at IM Cologne and Movistar you scouted him then how did you not scout people like Donk? Because the obvious question here, right, and this is the last point I'll make is, notice I didn't mention on that fire list of names fucking Hedrick. I don't even think Hedrick is bad, but in the context that he was bought for like half of Monacy, I mean, I've made this point before, that is the, that is the most insane fucking like highway robbery I've seen from any org. Because like I say, you can almost trip over in Ukraine or Russia and find a sick tier one op prospect. And instead, they literally had someone like take a bunch of fucking old sausages and bacon Maui and a bunch of like potatoes and by putting a chicken skin round it, they made, mm, look how succulent this big turkey it's a, it's a lovely fucking job. Look at this butter boy. Yeah, get in there, get in there. And then when you carve into it, this is just all fucking bits picked together. It's not even an opera, you idiots. You paid half of Monacy's money for someone pretending to be my. The joke oh, is he missed all of had a Monacy mask on. It was crazy. And so mm -hmm. the problem is at the end, he's actually an okay player, but he isn't the star opera that you paid for. You paid for the player to replace device. And so if you look, it is basically top to. Here's what's weird. The reason it has to be incompetence, Maui, is because the pieces are there. Like I'm saying, they're not working with nothing. Like the joke is they They've got a way, worse, uh, way better set of players than Big that I'm talking about. But think how Big puts together coherent rosters. They figure out the roles. They've actually improved over time. So, yeah, I agree. Just a, just a big L from top to bottom of the fucking nipple. I don't think there's any positive aspect about this. Even though I'm a threat fan, like, I actually low-key hope what I said's true and that's not just coping, that he's just having to, he's just having to be the public face and sort of take the whipping. Because if he did make these choices, then, yeah, you can't be in this team, mate. Like, this will never be an elite team again. And the worst thing is, like I say, if you look at those trades they made... They managed to make trades where you somehow, you're the one getting the bad side of the trade. And so suddenly you have a roster where it's like, here's the joke. If you took the name Nip off, this could just be an OG roster. This is just like some whatever tier two fucking mixed EU roster, right? Like, why couldn't, by the way, couldn't this roster have just been TSM's roster? You know, same sort of stupid sort of who gives a shit it's sort of a give it a try I guess team so I don't get it at all mate I think it's a terribly bad team and like I said I'll always come back to that I don't know who thought Rez, Config and Brawl and the same team would all work I don't, I don't, I don't know who you thought was going to give up what role and what other role they were going to do right there's one last point and I actually think this is a banger because I noticed there was a couple of people actually did also get a similar take, but I'm going to make it this way. You know, I said a few episodes back that I actually was worried, Maui, that people would over-obsess about Donk and that it actually might affect Donk. Like, it might put too much pressure on him and people are expecting him to walk in and win every time. Now, obviously, he did do it, so he actually has defied history in that sense. But here's the downside. Because he was having not only eye tests, but stats-wise, these impossible series where he's breaking numbers and he's never letting up and it's keeping going and he's never had a map below 1.2 and all that, all this shit that everyone's on about. I think the saddest part about it all goes like this. Bro, I would get if we only talked about Donk, if they'd lost that semi-final and he just fragged out and they lost. Am I missing that, like, Team Spirit won the event? The no, there was no conversation about Team Spirit. Because here's what's crazy. The way people have characterized Spirit is so fucking out of hand. It's insane. They're making this sound like this is a really bad Na'Vi that Simple has to carry. Or when Ziwu had like only the veterans and no firepower. And it didn't matter if he fragged out if he could win or not. They're talking like, well, no one's ever done this. Yeah, because here's the thing. Which young prodigy like this ever had this much help? No one ever, by the way. That's not to say he didn't himself also outperform everyone ever. But I'll tell you 
anyone, I've never seen anyone have this much help. Like, for a start off, you know when he wins every Teesside duel, Maui Snake? I'll give you a little analogy that you'll like here, mate. Supposedly, when you go to, like, indigenous tribes, like shamans and witch doctors in, like, Africa or South, South America, one of the secrets of being that person, Maui, isn't just that you communicate with the gods and have the medicines, it's that you're shrewd enough to know who you, to not say you can heal. You don't just say to everyone, oh, heal them all. If you see the guy where it's like Loki, fuck, he, he looks like he's almost on death's door. You just say something like, oh, it's too far gone. You know, his spirit has already moved on to, because you know that your shit won't work on him. Like, there's not even a chance you could fluke it, right? The analogy in this particular case is a similar one. It's like when people look at these teams, like, guys, this isn't a guy who was on his own with no help. Like, first of all, he doesn't just take every entry duel. I'll no I've noticed, mate, when the fucking sick off angle opens on the corner, he ain't the first one going round. He is either someone's jumping round like old school Apex, so he can trade, which works, but that's how you should play. And I'll tell you another thing, he doesn't go in dry. This isn't I'll tell you what, I'll even give credit to Yakindar. This isn't even what Yakindar on VP was. This guy is set up with flashes religiously. Like he's actually by the way, I would say the number one lesson of this team isn't you have to have donk it's broad you know how many aggressive rifles could you use a fucking self like this they use teammates to set him up they use flashes to set him up like it's actually one of the shrewdest platforms i've ever seen created for like a super stud player like if you notice most of those other players are sort of expected to do this that the other and all these extreme things i actually have never seen anyone almost like gilded into this position and then lastly let's not just throw this out there for no reason it did have fucking zero with him as well a guy with no overlap who's fragging. By the way, go look. Shiro had MVP numbers at a normal tournament. That would be the MVP of the tournament if Donk didn't do all that. So essentially, my ugly point, no, this is not bad. It's not good. It's just the characterization. Because I think people who only looked on Twitter or saw the big results would think this was like, there's a Donk guy. The rest are all shitters. And what, by the way, notice I didn't even in the list of things get to mention that like Zontix fucked around with like a 1.16 rating and never dropped off in the final. Like, Bro, this is not like a one hat. It's it might the joke is it might actually end up being the goat player, but this team's actually fucking good, guys. Like, give credit. Like, they didn't win just because Donk went crazy. Like, I actually think for real, Donk could have had like a 1.3 and they still would have won the tournament. Like, that's why that's the real reason they were blowing everyone out the service. Why actually, like I say, that's the real reason I think Carrigan cried. It wasn't just that Donk's too good. It's that like nobody the way they played that tournament, it looked like no one could have beaten them. They were, it was everything was amazing for that squad that one off. What do you guys think of this? Uh, I actually agree completely. I feel like it's a really good analogy with what people were thinking about, for example, let's say 2019 Simple when he was on Navi, right? I, I feel like a lot of people are treating it like that. And actually something that I've noticed, the people that are not treating it like that are the people that are, let's say, ESCA up to intermediate people that have played against Team Spirit right. Academy. <laughs> right. Like all of the other guys sure. like that, because they had the chance to talk about uh, to talk about Spirit to some of those guys. and. You know, I've had all of those guys come to me and be like, you know what? Donk is absolutely insane, but Zontix is fucking cracked. Art right. Frost is Art Frost is on another yep. level. So obviously we're not going to bring in Art Frost because you get replaced by Shiro, but this is not because you are doing a bad job. Art Frost is still, for me, a, oh, sure. a fucking phenomenal Whopper. But yeah, Spirit as a team is just great. I mean, you, you did bring in a really good point. The fact that Donk is... Uh, getting a lot of the opening kills doesn't actually mean that he's initiating into the fight itself, right? There's, I think... One of the really good examples is people can actually look at the amount of times that I, I found that quite funny. Chopper has always been, I think, a really good player at opening up space for his team. He's always been that type of an IGL that can run in first and just set up everyone up. The amount of highlights that Dong has of like triple opening kill when Chopper is just jumping in front of him. Yes. And they're, they're just running. They're just 
going ring around the rosy around each other it's really hard to actually explain it's almost like it's almost like you're looking at a funny compilation of cs but chopper is just running and then donk is just dancing around singing that uh, spanish song with the with the compilation around him and just headshotting people which obviously donk is a is a great player like the obviously he's really skilled everyone can see that but i completely agree with you i feel like on a different team that wouldn't have worked out and one thing that uh, i want to mention as well because i don't want to dig in too deep because i feel like you you already said a lot i feel like on a different team i'm not sure if that dynamic would have worked out because he's yeah. got the most humble teammates in the world i don't think if shiro really gives a damn if people are giving him individual credit because he already had that when he was on gambit youngsters in cloud nine and now i feel like he just prefers winning trophies zontix for a 21 year old has really mature or no wait he's 18 i i uh yeah i got that wrong he's 18 or 19. so for for that type of a young and unexperienced player he's got a pretty mature way of i think looking at things because he comes out and, and gives an interview and he's like, I, I don't really care if people are hyping me up, uh, hyping me up. I don't really care if I get the stats, the MVPs, the AVPs. All I care about is winning trophies, which usually is something that you get with older players, I'd say. Uh, then you have Chopper, who I feel like is at the stage of his career. Like Chopper's always been a, a guy that sacrifices himself for the team. He's the IGO. He just wants to win. And and then you have Magix, who I think as well do, doesn't strike me as a, as a, as a guy with a, a big ego. So I feel like he's got a lot of players that are simultaneously extremely skilled and extremely powerful and they can put up star numbers themselves but in the same time they don't really mind that everyone's going to be talking about dong right they, they 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 don't really give a damn as long as they're winning the tournaments so i feel like he set up really nicely and this is a really hard thing to actually achieve i feel like especially when you're a 17 18 year old guy i think the example that you gave with Brolon is really good unless you're in a team with like three four older guys that really do appreciate the fact that you are extremely skilled and realize that you're the only person that can win them the game, you're probably not going to get that treatment. But now you're getting that treatment from people that are approximately your age and that are extremely skilled as well. Shiro is prime years of his career, and maybe he's got like he's probably got six, seven years more of that. And they're giving you that respect and, and they're letting you play your game like this. So, yeah, I feel like the team in general was just built up really nicely around him. And obviously, that's, that doesn't take away the fact that he's a, he's a really skilled player. But yeah, I, I don't think that under different circumstances, he would have been that great. He probably still would have been really good, right? But I, I, I think a lot of people are overlooking the fact that Spirit as a team is just really well put in together. Like, put it this way, I would even say, if this was Hot Take Point, I probably would make this point, but we'll see if we ever get to that show. All I would say is this, the joke is, I couldn't say this till they won the tournament, but actually, I'm glad he stayed on Team Spirit now. When I first heard that move, Shiro's going there, I was like, oh, bloody hell, are they just going to be trapped in this team? But then when you actually saw that they can do it, it's not just some online shit. Like, the joke is, like you're saying, Ted, if he'd have gone to, you know, I mean, rumor it was like Vitality and teams like that were often... There's almost no way you walk in and they give you everything there. Like, I can tell you, if you want to actually go, the best example is the Brazilian scene. Mate, do you know how many players have joined Fallen's team and then magically they're not any good? Because they're not playing any of their roles or spots. Go ask Cello, Bolt, Phelps, all these guys. You don't get to be who you were. So I actually think the joke is he may, might actually have the perfect team to have this chance to have this insane debut. Because that's the other thing. Who else ever was in this situation? Come on, man. What's your take on this angle? Well, the way that they've set up players or the way that Chopper kind of historically has has been really solid. Like, I mean, just think of even the drop-off that Patsy had after he left the yes. team. You know, he looked like such a... The thing is, I, I did notice, like, I'm not going to say that it's all set up or anything like that. I'm not going to go, like, full Alex Vitality and be like, we're the ones oh, throwing flashes for him. Yes. But 
But the thing is that actually of three of the players on Spirit, they had the three highest flash assists per round or in the top four, like top 14, yes. like like Magics, Chopper and Shiro all. If you look at flash assists, like of all of Katowice, they're in the, they're all in the top 14 and Donk's like near the very bottom. Zontix is kind of near the bottom himself. So like, yeah, they know how to use their utility to set up their star player, which is great. And you would hope that's how most teams would structure themselves. But like, I will say like, to bite back to push back on it just a little bit like like donk is a donk's rifling prowess is 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 has reached a point like just from this one tournament alone that to me it reads as transcendent like i i was seriously blown away by the way that he takes so many different duels even the ones that are unassisted like he's so frequent like when i when you watch back like someone on reddit wrote this thing about like i watched donk's pov it's not that special watch his what? opponents okay yeah no some stupid ass post okay, okay? like which is typical that's the sad thing though i saw what they mean though by what they mean is this which i will say is weird about him he doesn't just do instant headshots all the time like no an but right. the reason that's weird to me is i would just say this to them bro watch when he gets his crosshair on them they always die every yes. single time like that that's that's exactly. that's not what normal players are like in this game yeah sure yeah exactly <laughs> like the thing when i like looking at Donk's demos, it it kind of reminds me like because the thing is that Prime like really well Xantares even to this day one thing that he does too is it's not it's not actually all headshots he doesn't have that bit or twist level of headshot percentage he's just also like his crosshair is like a magnet once he gets onto them or even misses that first bullet it's just a perfect five burst spray yes. that's right into their stomach every time and that same same thing is for uh, same things for Donk so I. I, but the thing is that you look at actually some of the deaths from opponents POVs for Dong and it's like what what could they like they're it, he's so like Weasley he's so Weasley with like his movement that he'll like so frequently he'll like crouch he'll like stutter step like left once crouch swing back into the angle just barely so his head's actually coming up into the fight it's such a it's such a hard thing to like like when you when you watch his POV you might not even notice it but like this dude is like spamming his control key and movement keys all the time just so that he can manipulate his move speed so it's like the very second that he's in a like accurate enough range like you know you hit that like you don't have to have zero move speed to have an accurate shot you need to have like like 70 move speed and that's when he takes his shot so frequently like it's on his slowdown as he's still moving into an angle so frequently so it's like these little these little micro choices that he makes are what makes him such a strong player and the thing is that that probably does motivate the rest of the team that it's like hey if we set this guy up with one flash it doesn't even need to be the perfect flash it just needs to be a darn good flash and a, a, a solid flash even and I'll, I'll always run in front of that guy like i'll always yes. i'll always die first because he's always going to trade it and if you give him the right calm or anything like that like so i'm not i'm not like spirit is a great team already like that's that's the thing if you put in if you even put in patsy back into this team at the same level that he was playing for example at the antwerp major it's actually possible they could have made this run. I don't think I don't think they would have beat FaZe. They'd still make a deep run, though. Yeah, they'd make a deep run. Yeah, I, they would have made playoffs for sure. Oh, yeah. Because of because of the people other people were talking about. The fact that Shiro had an insane tournament for himself and was like, like, we barely even had, I mean, I didn't even work Spirit Games, but looking back at the stuff, like, throughout the day, it was just like, like. Oh, man, do you want to know what's hilarious? I was even watching the final on a watch party, right? And what's funny is, no joke, Shiro's kills are all invisible. Because since he does that, yeah. like, boring defensive style, well, they're never watching his POV because Donk's in the game. It's so all you see for real. It's like you do for real pull up the scoreboard. It's like that fucking meme about Guardian or whatever back in the day. You yeah, pull up the scoreboard, yeah. and you're like, how's he got 20 kills? I didn't see anything. But, like, that, yeah, that's the joke. Shiro, by the way, is going to be the invisible man in this team. It's mad. It's mad. Even though he's doing, like, a 1.25 rating or something like that. Fucking hell. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I just think like if anybody really wants to do like to understand Donk a little more, just simply want get the demos, watch like watch maybe you could watch Donk's POV, but just watch the people he kills. Like it, it feels unbeatable. Like, by the way, all I'll say is this. Uh, the, the number one person I hope was watching that fucking tournament was Cadian from Team Liquid. Because, mate, you have your kinder. Like, you could do some of this shit with him too, you know? He's not the same player, but you could make a lot of his entries way better in this way. Like, and you could probably farm some T-sides. So, yeah. Oh, like, like I say, to me, the ugly point is the characterization. Because I do feel like the donk phenomenon made people think like the rest of them are chopped liver, whereas, like, oh, yeah. at least two of them aren't. And even the others did their job too. So, yeah, I'd leave it at that. Esports Bet also has a promotion group on Telegram where if you haven't already, you can claim five USDT for free. They have all the latest promotions, giveaways posted on this group. So keep your eye on it. It's just a good way to find out what the latest bonuses, etc. And that's where they post all the newest stuff. So obviously just go on the screen here. If you know how QR codes works, use your phone camera. It'll take you to the relevant site, the app, and you'll be able to go join the channel and potentially redeem five USDT.